What's up, boys and girls? Ah, oh, man. want to thank Option Studios. They make uh, the pro jersey, most comfortable jersey on the market. If you've actually been a fan of the Rating Center, you've seen the new TRC jersey. Performance Designs recently released a uh, special edition one to their athletes, and then they have a retail one uh, online, Apex Base, Velocity Sports Equipment. They've all got their jerseys from Option Studios. I'm wearing one right now. You're wearing one right now? That's the truth. Uh, underneath that uh, little it's hoodie a, of yours? It's a TRC jersey. A TRC jersey? Yeah, rocking Mr. P on the back. That's what's up. Dude, it's absolutely one of the most, not one of the most, it is the most comfortable jersey. Um, the feel of the material for me, it's the most comfortable. It actually wicks uh, sweat away. A lot of the jerseys I've worn feels like it traps a sweat in and it stays wet all day long. Have you ever experienced that? Uh, yeah, with some other uh, some others. I'm a sweaty guy. Yeah, <laughs> yes, you are, man. You sweat, <laughs> but, man. Uh, do these vents? They do it good. You jump in yours very often? Um, I have. So, a, I had still not been able to free fly mine. I want to go do a couple of jumps, but I wear mine under my jumpsuit. And something you mentioned is you wear your long sleeve under your jumpsuit on a hot summer day. And I thought, like, man, you know, that's, that's, don't need it that much. My, my jumpsuit's not vibrating on my skin all day long like yours is. I'm not sweating as much, but I did an AFF course and tried it anyways. And absolutely, man, it was the way to go. I was a lot more comfortable when I landed. That water, that wet, swicking away, wicking away, swicking? Wicking. Wicking, swicking is a word too, isn't it? Sure. Yeah, it is now. Yeah. Wicking, wicking away, man. It just felt a lot more comfortable. So I started jumping in it recently. Um, they make super awesome jerseys. They're very competitive. Uh, best part about Option Studios is not just the jerseys, but they actually are graphic designers. Adam Buckner is the principal there. He has been doing graphic design in and out of the industry for well over 20 years. Um, does a wonderful job. So they're a one-stop shop. You can get the freshest, best graphic designs out there. You can get it put on a jersey. Uh, Skydive California does the Pride Boogie. They had wind blades, jerseys, shirts, pull-up cords, stickers, you name it. It was made for that event. You mean they do all those fancy pull-up cords I see laying around all over the place? Pull-upcords.com. You know, I mess up that website. (laughs) No, otherwise, man. Pull-upcords.com. They do everything. So give them a holler. Give them a checkout. Option Studios. You will not be upset with the quality of uh, work they do from graphic design to the end product in your hand they've done my business cards stickers shirts jerseys hats you name it they take care of it um also want to thank the good guys detailing uh, you still now you've met andres yeah yeah he yeah. introduced himself to me at uh, the drop zone a little, little while back super good guy man i was actually just washing my car the other day and god you you know how i like my car to be clean and shiny sexy little whip and uh, it was so easy to clean, man. Getting that ceramic pro coating done by him, it's it's uh, not the cheapest job, but if you actually mention Gravity Lab Radio, uh, you'll get a uh, 10% off or present your USP membership card. <clears throat> but give him a holler, man. That ceramic coat pro, it makes my car so easy to clean. All the dirt, all the mud we go through at the DZ, it, it, it gets caked on. I was talking about Zach's car during this show. You can see it caked on his car. Where mine, you'll just see splashes of it. I hose it off and it's gone. It makes my life so much easier. Andreas doesn't just do the uh, uh, detailing, or excuse me, uh, ceramic coat, but he does detailing. You've got the man van. Yeah, so for uh, a normal person like me that doesn't have a fancy-ass whip? Dude, so first of all, hit him up. He's mobile all over Texas. He'll come out, he'll do a basic wash, detail cleaning, whatever you need, whether you need a polish, a wax job, or just your uh, just your uh, custom or excuse me, mobile detailing, he'll take care of you. They're based out of Austin, so uh, if you are local, you can go there and get a lot of the services done as well. You can hit up the Good Guys uh, Detail TX on Facebook, the Good Guys Detail TX, and on Instagram, same handle, the Good Guys Detail TX. Remember, mention Gravity Lab Radio and get their 10% off. 
Mr. P, man, coming up here, we just finished a chat with Zach. How was that? That was great, man. It's uh, always interesting. Even people that you know well at the drop zone, it's always interesting to hear someone's story from uh, from their perspective. And to see them tell the story at the drop zone, we always get interrupted or we get uh, overwhelmed. And even here on the show, we do. Guys and gals, we just had a good sit down with Zach Boyd. I hope you enjoy as much as Nick and I did. Till then, we'll catch you on the other side. Whoop. I'm the target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and produced by Nicholas Live. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? Gentlemen, Mr. Zach Boyd. How's it going? How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing good. It's good to see you, Zach. It's Turn nice it off so soft. Well. This is really nice. It, it's uh, This matches the tone of the day. Sweaty balls. Remember that skit on SNL, Sweaty Balls? You know, I never really got into SNL. That's because you're a little young, and I'm, I really yeah, mean it. I think so. Um, I vaguely remember the skit. More, uh, I more so remember the Ben and Jerry's ice cream flavor. Dude. Sweaty Balls? Sweaty Balls. Jerry's? Is, is that not a thing? Am I missing? I, I believe it was. I know. I can see it in my brain. I'm gonna have to look it up. I right believe now. it was it's like a temporary thing, yeah. like a seasonal sweaty balls for Christmas. Dude, uh, <laughs> SNL every Christmas does a Christmas special, and they just compile their best of Christmas year after year after year. And sweaty balls always on there. It's two ladies like on NPR sitting there hosting a show, and they have a guy whose name I think Pete Sweaty, and he sells his sweaty balls. That's and awesome. I like them when they're salty, and <laughs> I mean, dude, they it's the whole time, and these That's two good. real straight, you know, very straight face, his sweaty balls, <laughs> and uh, I like his sweaty balls. <laughs> so you you got to check it out. It's yeah, for sure. Old SNL is definitely well worth it. Zach, what the fuck, man? What are you doing here? I don't know. It's uh, it's taken a while for you to get me on here, huh? No, well, man, I, dude, just in life in general, I've known you for 13 years now, right? I, October, 13 years ago is when I showed up, so 13 yeah, it's, years. It's been a long time. How old are you now? 21. 21, so when I met you, you were... Do math for me. Help me out now. <laughs> I'm the Asian. Nick? Let's say eight. Eight. That's, yeah. a, that's good math. Eight-ish, I'm, yeah. I'm going to go with that. And uh, obviously not a jumper yet. Not quite. Spent a lot of time growing up around a drop zone, but actually not on the drop zone very much. Um, I think I spent a pretty ridiculous amount of time on the drop zone pretty much from the time I was born until maybe about seven years old. Mm-hmm. So until about the time I started school. Um, I mean, I had thousands of hours flying with my dad up until that point. Um, he was a full-time pilot back then, so I remember... My days were spent pretty much all day long, either in the in the airplane or messing around the drop zone, finding something to mess up, trouble to get into. So realistically, as Spaceland started, you were three years old. The drop zone and you have grown up together. It's your older brother by a few years. Yep. Man, so the age of seven, you no longer on the DZ. And at the age of eight, I, I saw you on the DZ a, a couple times, a few times a year max. Yeah. Uh, a party, and not even usually a party. We're doing fireworks at the drop zone, or or some event was going on. Your mom and you guys would pass. Your dad was out of town, and your mom had to do the pay, yep. <laughs> the paychecks, and bring you in. Need with to it. come in, yeah. Um, and at some point, you just disappeared completely from the DZ. 
Yeah, probably around uh, the middle of middle school, so 13, yeah. 14 years old. So what I'm kind of curious about tonight and why, why are you here, what are you doing, is at some point you became lazy. You sat at home and did a little bit of nothing. We'll get into that. I hope you don't mind. No, absolutely. Um, you, oh, you, you go to school, go to college, and have an apartment. That doesn't work out. Your dad drops you off at the DZ and says, you will pack parachutes for a living, and you will like it. Or you won't. I don't care, but you're going to do it. To suddenly coming up to me saying, hey, DJ, I want to skydive. To today, you have how many jumps? Roughly 2,000. In how many years? Two, two and a half years. Yeah, May of two years ago. May, I thought it was April. April. You'd, April. Probably, you'd probably remember better than me. Uh, I think it was the last week, last week of April. Okay. Um, man, so many people get into skydiving who it's changed their lives. And people think you're the drop zone owner's kid. And if people haven't figured out your last name is Boyd and your father owns a place and they're a little bit slower and some of our friends That's are. All right. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> but you don't hang it out there. You don't, you don't want to be known as, as Steve's kid. So you've never really liked the drop zone. You've never really been around it much. You really had no direction and you were lost in life despite growing up around it. And suddenly you like skydiving and suddenly you have a passion in life. You've yeah. lost 30 pounds in the time I've met you. Well, in the time you started skydiving. Mm-hmm. Man, I want to kind of get to know that side of you, that story. So what happened? What, it, suddenly you disconnected from life. You dropped out of school. Um, Steve, be proud of him. I'm sorry. Where, where are we talking about? Are we talking how did I get into skydiving? Kind of like how did that process start? Or are we no, talking before that? Right now, before that. You, you're in high school. I played games with you, man. I'd sit, yeah. I'd sit in, Nick, I'd fucking sit in my living room. February, playing zombies on Call of Duty, playing with this kid every day, wondering, aren't you supposed to be in school? But never asked him a damn thing about it. Well, I knew you were both nerds, so that's yeah. not a surprise. <laughs> and I think at some point I did ask you what was going on, and you said you dropped out? Yeah, yeah. Um, man, there was a whole lot going on at that time. I think um, a lot of it had to do with, I wasn't motivated for anything, mm-hmm. or rather anything that I could possibly be doing at the time, right? Anything that was considered acceptable for a 12 or 13-year-old kid to be doing all day long um, at that point in my life. And I think that mixed with uh, a bunch of social anxiety issues and uh, a little bit of, of depression setting in in my life just made it tough to, to function and, and the school atmosphere and, and with my peers. Um, and I think that turned into me starting to get into a lot of fights in school, um, which then caused my parents to kind of think, ah, maybe we need to find a, a, a new option, uh, find something else that'll work for you. At that point, they kind of took me and my sisters and put us in a private school, a little bit of a smaller community, um, in, in hopes to fix this issue. And I genuinely think they, they just wanted me to be happy. Um, but it, it just wasn't working for me. So at some point, I had to decide, for my own health, I, I got to stop doing this. I got to figure something else out. Um, my parents weren't necessarily okay with it, but that's what I needed to do. Um, you say social anxiety? Mm-hmm. That's it's hard for me to see out of you. You uh, you're well presented as far as you speak to people well. 
you're a very, very clean communicator. You, I watch you work with students. It's very impressive with, with the way you relay information that you need them to know. You don't seem to get mad and angry at everybody. What do you mean socially awkward? I think that's hard to define. I think um, I think a lot of it is, is just mental. You know what I mean? And in a situation where... An example being when I first started at the drop zone, the idea of hanging out and just having a beer and socializing with my coworkers who are 30 people who I spend, you know, eight hours a day with the people I spend the most time in my life with. It made me shake just thinking about it. Like it, I, I would go straight home after work just because it, it wasn't an option to me, just because just the thought of going out and, and socializing with anyone I wasn't comfortable with was terrifying. How many new jumpers you, you work? You train students. Mm -hmm. How many new jumpers have you met? Who do you think who you think feel this way? A lot. And this doesn't just describe the way you feel at the DZ. This has been your life now for years. Yeah. yeah. So what happened? What about the sport will change that for you? I think it instilled confidence in me. I th I think just throughout everything that I've progressed through the sport. And going from this person who was almost looked down upon because of my background and because of whose child I was whenever I was starting at the drop zone, I knew I had, I had big hurdles to overcome. And so slowly overcoming those hurdles and, and creating these successes slowly started to build my self-confidence, which then as that confidence built, I had to start forcing myself to say, hey, maybe it's time to start pushing those boundaries to keep this ball rolling. Um, so I think skydiving kind of got it started and then through a bunch of other stuff, I, I kept it going and, and made, made it a successful um, journey. Man, I know confidence of, of overcoming skydiving, just being at peace in the sky. It's, it's not the ability to survive a skydive. Um, that gave me confidence, no doubt at all. But the ability to be peace in the middle of chaos is given me so much of my life. It's given me confidence that I can deal with any any situation. Not always successful with those, <laughs> but uh, that, that I can deal with them. What would you tell new jumpers to do or to think? To, because I'm sure a lot of them are thinking what you just said, but how do you accomplish that goal? What, what would you tell them to do? I think make the journey your own. I think a lot of people are too focused on I, I need to get all this knocked out by this time frame. I need to do this, this, and this. And they're not really focused on, on what they're doing to get there. I think that it's kind of cliche to say focus on the journey, but it, it's so true. Focus on, on the journey and take things at your own pace. Um, you're going to get out of it what you want to get out of it, I think is the important thing. <clears throat> Man, you open up a bunch of cans of worms I want to ask about. Go at your own pace. Take your time. Don't go so fast. Um, some of those things, all those things I, I agree with, and some of them would infer you don't have to jam in as many jumps in as short as time as possible. Um, do We do an eight-a-week package, an eight-a-week program, and you're only doing four or five jumps a day to do that. Guys are out there pushing to get eight to ten jumps. It's okay they do that. But taking your time, going slow. And some people succeed going fast, and that's and that's how they're built. But yeah. it's not for everybody. But if you're struggling at the social, at the awkward part, there's a confidence issue. Take your time. Yeah, for sure. 
get to know and get to understand. Um, I want to come back and I'll chase all those things. But you start skydiving. You came up to me one day. And so at some point, you have an apartment. Can I tell the story? Yeah, absolutely. Your dad, do you know how he came to the drop zone? Do you know how this really came to be? Um, no, I mean, not the, I don't think the specific story you're about to tell. I don't think I know the details. Let me know if I fuck this up. Okay, I, absolutely. I, I, his, uh, Steve tells Zach, if you go to school, I'll pay for your apartment. As long as you're in school, you're good to go. You're mm-hmm. not in school. You get a job. You pay for it yourself. It's your problem. Zach stops going to school, college at this point. Uh, Steve says, get a job. Zach doesn't successfully get a job, which my take is, knowing you now, was you didn't try nearly as hard as you could have. Uh, I think it was, it was kind of like, um, yeah, you need to have a job by, by this date or you need to be enrolled in school by this date. He's like, I, it's not my choice which one. I couldn't care less which one you do. I just want you to choose whichever one's going to make you happier. Um, and so I applied for a whole bunch of jobs, actually. I tried really hard because I knew that I wasn't going back to school. <laughs> I had already made it up in this, like at this point. I had already told my girlfriend at the time, Mahogany, I was like, look, we're going to be eating ramen and living on the streets if we have to. Like, um, Can I ask what you were studying in school that so successfully lost your interest? <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to study um, psychology and be a psychology major, but I never actually had any real psych courses so it was all kind of the basics i was only a semester and a half in when i decided yeah this is the same thing as high school why psych um i think i've always kind of enjoyed the mind and and kind of how it works and the emotional and and psychological side of it watching you it makes sense watching you teach and speak to people makes a lot of sense so now you don't have a job in time. Right. So then it, it started coming down to the deadline. Um, and I started weighing my options. And I had gotten approved from one job. And it was to be a delivery driver at Pizza Hut, which is not a bad job for your first job until you have a $1,400 a month rent bill. And then it doesn't really become <laughs> a feasible job. <laughs> so I uh, decided it was the drop zone that I was going to take a chance at. So Steve, Zach shows up with Steve one day, and I don't know if it was right with or before or after, but we see him together, and basically, here you go. Here's the packing mat. Have at it. Yep. And Steve pulled a couple people aside at that point. Uh, Brad Sauer, I believe, was around the packing floor. Mm -hmm. And I'm positive he had told Brad, and I say positive, I, I might misquote this, but Steve was very clear to Brad, don't do him any favors. As a matter of fact, be harder on him than you would be anybody else. Yep. And I don't think that was because Steve wanted you to get beat up, but because he knew you would suffer at being his son right. if it didn't happen any other way. Correct. Um, and God, two months, you just sat there and did not seem happy about it at all. Yeah, I was pretty miserable for, uh, I would say, a little bit longer than two months. But two months for sure was, was the worst um, the first two months I wasn't jumping. I wasn't doing anything. I was packing. I didn't really understand how to pack. Um, it was actually a kind of funny story how all that happened. Um, whenever I went to the old man and was kind of like, Hey, like, look, this is where I'm at. I think it's, it's time for me to move into the drop zone and kind of find my place and figure out how to start that journey. And I had done some, some ground crew, some maintenance work for, a couple of months in the winter, two two years before that, 
And um, also as a kid, my punishment was working maintenance and ground crew on the weekends. Um, so I'd kind of experienced a little bit of jobs. I'd also worked manifest for a summer. So the next logical step was to pack. Well, also as a child, whenever I was in trouble, <laughs> I was tasked with going to the drop zone and learning how to pack on a busy day. Well, it just so happened that Yanni's sister and Cheryl were running the packing floor at the time. And I um, remember these days. <laughs> if anyone remembers those days, well, it wasn't the, uh, the nicest packing floor, um, especially whenever it started getting super busy and stressful. <laughs> I forgot you got sent out <laughs> as a punishment. Yeah, so it, we kind of made this agreement, and it was pretty much, hey, if you sit in the corner and don't say anything all day long, when your dad comes down at the end of the day to pick you up, we'll tell him you've been backing all day long. So I was like, hey, that sounds like a pretty good idea to me. So that's what happened. So then whenever I approach my dad about the idea of working at the drop zone, <sighs> he decides I'm going to be a packer and goes and talks to Kelly and Brad. And he tries to set up um, kind of a refresher packing class, a refresher packing class for me um, so I could start working. And so I show up to the drop zone on a Thursday night, and it's maybe like 6 p.m. in the middle of winter. So it's already like the drop zone's closed, right? People are trying to leave in the next 20 minutes to shut the place down. And Kelly's there to give me a packing class. And I just remember like him unpacking the rig and then asking me to start and me just looking down and being like, dude, I don't have any idea where to start. Like, I, I don't have a clue at what I'm doing. And him just looking at me and being like, ah, gotcha. Like, this is a way different story than I thought. It turns out later on, my dad had gone up to him and been like, hey, yeah, Zach totally knows how to pack. He just needs a refresher course. He'll be good to go. So I had like about a 30-minute kind of briefing on how to pack, and then I started that next Friday morning at 8 in the morning. So... That's kind of how that journey began. Um, Who had that first pack job? I got to know. Man, I can't remember. Um, <laughs> I wonder if they do. I'm trying to remember. Did I, they Did they come down and be like, oh, man, that was a terrible opening? <laughs> did you hear anything no, like that? No, no. Right. I'm sure it was, though. I'm sure it was horrible because, man, probably the first month of packing, I remember maybe half my pack jobs I'd get halfway through and then have to look to the person next to me and be like, hey, hey, what should I be doing right now? Like, <laughs> hey, what's the next step? Hey, hey, look this over. Did I forget something? <laughs> and uh, the group on the floor at the time, luckily they were super nice about it. They helped me all the time, but they didn't seem to like it too much. <laughs> no, man. When it, it was, I, A, I didn't realize you didn't know how to pack at all. Yeah. I thought you had some, uh, I, a refresher I thought was going to be generous way to call it, but mm -hmm. I thought you at least needed a refresher. And no, they weren't excited, man. You, you didn't know what you were doing. Uh, you showed up here and there regularly, but you regularly wouldn't show up. And, and I think early on it was a lack of commitment. Yeah, and I don't think necessarily showing up was the issue. It was more that if I sat around for three or four hours on a weather hold, I would kind of just decide, that ah, was it. I'm out. You know, this kind of sucks, and I could be doing this at home and watching TV and hanging out with my girlfriend, so I'm going to go home and then... Well, what do you know? It's like cracking a beer. Every time I left, it would part the clouds, and we'd be jumping for the rest of the day. So you're the curse. Yeah. All this bad weather the last two years we've been having. Your yeah. fucking fault. <laughs> Way to go, Zach. Um, at some point while you're packing, you you pull me off to the side and say, hey, man, I think I might be interested in jumping. And I think 
pretty much those words. Very nonchalant, very casual, but very like, I'm serious, look yeah. in your face. And I forget what I told you, but a couple of days later, I asked you a couple of questions. What was your motivation? Or are you wanting to do this? Or is this somebody else's desire? It's like, no, nope, this is me. It's definitely me. I'm like, come back to me in a couple of days. And let's talk. And I don't know if you remember me deflecting you for a couple of days. Yep. Do you know why I did? No clue. Uh, definitely wasn't time. I used time as an excuse. I wanted to see if you were serious. Yeah. I wanted to see if you said, I want to do this in a couple of days from then. If you came talk to me again, then I was pretty sure you were serious. And you made that jump. What changed to make you want to make that jump? I don't know if it was that something like a big change or some like monumental point where I just went like, yes, like this is what I want to do now. I think a lot of it had to do with you and my brother were both always kind of the same in the fact that I was never pressured. Everyone else who knew me as a kid growing up, it was why aren't you jumping? Why aren't you jumping? Are you going to be jumping like the day you possibly can? And you're going to be doing it as much as you possibly can. And my brother very specifically was when you're ready, like in your own time, there's no rush. You come to me whenever you're ready. And I think you were the same way. And when, especially whenever I started working at the drop zone, it was no rush, no pressure. Just come to me whenever you're ready to start this experience. So I think having that kind of open invitation and then seeing all of my, my new friends um, as I started to make them having all this fun, specifically like um, Ed. You guys remember Ed? Packer oh, Ed. Yes. Every single time Ed would land from a skydive and he'd play it on the packing room TV, it was a big joke because everyone would be like, Psh, like he's going fast, like, Psh, <laughs> like just making skydiving noises because everyone knows what the skydives sound like, but he would always leave the sound on just so everyone could hear just how fast he was going. Um, <laughs> And so it, just just watching them laugh and have a good time and enjoy their skydives on the ground made me want to experience it. Not necessarily more than once, but at least once. So you had never done a single tandem at this point? I had done a couple of tandems. Okay, okay that's what I but thought. But it was, it was quite a bit prior. Roger. Um, <laughs> so you say you wanted to experience that at some point now when you say experience I, I think it's obvious that you're talking about the skydive the video the experience of what it's going through mm -hmm. i think it's a little less obvious but I, i'm wondering do you also mean or more so mean the experience of that moment for all of them together oh i think the camaraderie had a, a big part of it absolutely I mean, how how many of us were lost when we started skydiving? It's it's so many new jumpers, hear feel anxiety, feel pressure. They they don't know how to approach people, and there's no doubt it's difficult because people look up to each other, and that's silly. There's no reason to look up to anybody. I mean, it's it's look look at each other as peers, but we're all nervous. We all started in that same place. Not yep. all of us, but a lot of us did. And that desire to belong, that desire, desire to be part of the group, that made you want to do more. You made that, that you, we did our first jump course, your slow transition class, yep. and then we did another tandem for currency. Mm -hmm. And by the way, Nick, you know we have a currency rule at most drop zones, uh, Spaceland for sure. Even this little shit had to actually follow the currency rule. That's what's up. I mean, you weren't that yep. far out either, I don't think. But No, no, not too much, but... Yep, still did that second tandem right after ground school. Yeah. And, man, your ground school was interesting because now listening to some of your story about packing, 
your ground school, I said, I'm not going to assume you know a thing. I told you that straightforward. Yep. I'm also not going to assume you don't know nothing. So I'm going to ask you questions about each topic and then we'll go over what you miss. And uh, you knew a lot more than I than I expected. Really? Yeah. And I also think you knew more than you expected. Or did you realize you were going to... Man, that's funny that you say that because I was just thinking about this the other day and wanted to have a conversation with you and ask you kind of how that class went. It was actually actually after my last ground school I was thinking about this. And I wanted to ask how that class went because I don't remember it a whole lot. Like I remember bits and pieces, but I specifically remember sitting in Malfunction Junction and just being lost. Like I remember sitting there with you asking me questions and then just being absolutely lost. Like looking at this, like I don't have any idea what any of this is. Like, man, maybe I'm in over my head. And so I was, I was curious how how did you that answered class go? everything well? Um, you shocked me a with how much you realized, and um, that was one of the things I wondered. You didn't know much about packing. Um, I didn't know how much you did or didn't know about the drop zone. My question was, uh, and I'll get to yours, is did you have a lot of those answers because of growing up near the DZ or because of the last three to four months on the DZ packing? I would say both. Both? Yeah, I think it's hard to say like which information came from which time period, but I definitely think growing up around the sport and just you take in so much knowledge just from being around it. I think everyone kind of knows that everyone says hang out around the drop zone come in even on the weather days because you're going to learn something Mm -hmm. the same thing as a kid you know we may have been running around throwing shoes at each other's faces trying to knock each other's teeth out but (laughs) you got to think at some subconscious level there was information entering my brain in all those different like scr ceremonies that i sat outside of or you know the big tsr events that i went to all summer long or what was the uh, the summer event that they used to hold? Man. Mudfest. Um, Skyfest. Skyfest, yeah. yep. Skyfest. Like all those events and all these different points in my life where I'm just surrounded by the drop zone, I think it would be hard to not have some of that information soak in. Man, it it definitely did. You asked how the experience went, and, and I remember several sections vividly and several sections well. Malfunction Junction was one of them. You had straightforward answers. Whatever you were doing, you were faking it well. <laughs> and I, I don't think you were faking it well. I think you knew the answers. I just don't think you believed in what you understood. Yeah. There's that unfortunate part in life that we have to have a little bit of experience or a little bit of knowledge to gather the experience. And that experience is what really gives us the knowledge we're wanting. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard in a first jump course to teach everything everybody's supposed to learn. I mean, the military does it for days, weeks. We do it for hours. Yeah. So. It's daunting, both as the student and the instructor. Yeah. Man, I don't know if you've had students like you yet for me. For you, it was hanging out with a buddy. So any scout I've taken a friend on, any scout I've taken a family member on, it's always like, I'm just hanging out with this dude talking about a life experience. Yeah. Have you had that student a one-on-one yet? Yeah, absolutely. Um, The first one that comes to mind is Colt. Do you remember Colt? Last name? Burn Burnett. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I do. Uh, he caught on much quicker, right? Yeah, yeah. And we had a little bit of a special bonding experience just because we we got to travel. 
Get yeah. to travel and go do go do our program at a different drop zone. New for both of us. You guys went to Dallas, didn't you? Clueston. Clueston. Yeah. That's right, because you asked, you left asking me about taking a helmet. and yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot about all that. Man, it seems to be different, and I don't, I always wonder when that student-instructor relationship occurs, is the student easier? Are you having fun because the student's easier, or is the student easier because you're enjoying your time together with them? I think it could go either way, or could be both. I think it's both, but I commonly think your decision to make a connection, not just sit here and teach somebody. I hate the word uh, instructor. Yeah, I can instruct you all day long. It's the military. But make a connection. Talk about it. Make it a discussion. And that's what we had was a, just a discussion about skydiving for five hours. Yeah. What am I going to do tonight? So so did, did you know Colt from before? I'm just trying to put this, this no, story No, okay. Um, so Colt actually showed up in, God, it had to be January of this year. Um, back whenever we were having terrible weather, terrible weather. And I can't remember the situation. I think I was headed to Clewiston for their boogie. And we had planned on going in the King Air. And I had showed up one day on my day off, and Liz had approached me, who had this student come down who had came here from, I want to say Indiana, just to get licensed, and was just there from like that Thursday through the weekend. And it was predicted to be unjumpable all day, every single day that he was there. Um, so she had approached me and just been like, hey, what do you think about him tagging along in the King Air and doing his program up there? I was like, well, I've never really heard of that happening, but I can always ask. It's worth a shot. So I went up to the old man and asked him. And he was like, yeah, why not? We got an extra slot. Let's throw him in there. And so we grabbed a rig and a helmet and altimeter and loaded up and he came to Clewiston with us and hung out at the boogie we did I think 17 jumps there over the weekend while we were there um 17 instructor jumps and yeah it was a cool experience he kind of became more of a friend rather than a student pretty quickly dude imagine that you're you come and if I remember right he uh jumped in Indiana a little bit and just wasn't able to learn to jump he wanted to come someplace that would set a pace for him. Mm -hmm. So he makes a couple of jumps in Indiana, place I used to work, um, and then comes down here, meets to gets to meet some cool people, hops in the owner's plane, goes to Florida, bangs out 17 skydives, hops back in the owner's plane, and in then two goes days. home. In two days. It's kind of the rock star treatment right there. Dude, how does Colt, like what kind of fucking spoiled stuff is that to start your skydiving? Because that yeah, is so awesome, crazy. man. So have, have you taught anyone to skydive that you knew from before skydiving? Not Anyone yet. that you knew outside of the sport? Not yet. No. Is that hard for you, DJ? I know that you end up teaching a lot of people who you already know. Is it hard to switch from teacher-instructor mode to your own personality when you already know somebody? No, man. I, it's it's so fun. It's I really like teaching skydiving. I enjoy the information, the exchange of information in general. And then I get to share my passion with somebody I love. And e even in Zach's case, man, you guys have been family to me for years. And it's just so much more fun. It's it's definitely people I love with something I love combined in one good thing. So I don't think I could do it. Man, if you want to sleep with them tonight, you shouldn't teach them today. Straight <laughs> up. I for teach sure. that in every course. Um, you shouldn't sleep with your own siblings, so that's okay to teach them. <laughs> Unless we're in Kentucky. Then there's another story. Um, no, but, uh... 
I've even I've even said no to teaching some some fellow staff members because I've just felt like I didn't want that extra pressure. Some something about teaching someone that I know and maybe having that that extra potential for a mistake because I'm focused on our friendship rather than our our training or some crazy possibility like that. I'm not sure, but uh always seems like way too much stress for me. Man, I think uh I think it's fear of the unknown. I think once you try it, you're going to relax and breathe and get to be yourself a little bit more. Because of that, your brain, your thought process is going to flow smoother, a little bit easier. Because it flows easier, you're going to get a little more abstract and think I just really I I feel so much better. And I can think clear when I'm teaching somebody I can just relax around. Yeah. I'm not worried about you judging how I teach you. Are you uptight? Can I use the word motherfucker in front of you? Right. You know? For sure. And it's obvious extremes, but I there's no worrying about what offends you. We're friends. Yeah. My sister knows who I am. She knows how much I can offend her. Poor thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, you should try it sometime. I don't think you've had a real huge opportunity to a loved one. No, no, not yet. Yeah. What about that tandem rating? I just complete sidetrack. I don't have three years. I know you don't, but do you want it? Yes, absolutely. How soon do you want it? At three years? I think that's a question I'll have to answer when I get there, just because I think that the answer to that question has changed three or four times this year. As of right now? Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm as as of this second, I would love to get it the day I possibly can. You don't shoot video. No. Why not? Um, Nick's hard to work for. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of different reasons. The first one being because my first main goal was STP. That mm. was my priority. And then right after I got that, I you know spent some time at nationals and then came back. And because of that nearly month off, I wanted to hammer out as many STP jumps as I possibly could. Um, and then whenever I kind of got to a point where I was about to have the conversation with Nick to start some video, that was about the time where we had brought on like four or five new videographers and like Fudala and Woodbury and a couple other people. So I just decided, ah, oh, let's just keep focusing on AFF for a little bit longer. Um, so I'd, I've just had different priorities. Yeah. Are you going to get back to video sometime, or is that... Yeah, I would love to. You yeah. got a nice setup put together, right? Yeah, I have everything that I need to shoot video. Just need Wasn't to that you just trying to sell it. it online? No, so that is my uh, my cookie fuel now that I have that new beautiful tone fly. I didn't know you got a tone fly. The, uh, Message me. My <laughs> No, my, my matching helmet with Ingus. Our team helmets. I didn't, I didn't know you got a tone fly at all. What did you get? It's a beautiful... Uh, I feel like... 3x okay yeah. with the the blue blue the stripes blue, blue and black the blue and the gray and the white i feel like i wore it on a skydive with you like last week we didn't make a skydive together last week did we oh for your aff course yeah dude did you shoot video of me yeah that sure was you did. carving around trying to grab everything because <laughs> you wore shorts and a t-shirt that was you wasn't it maybe maybe <laughs> maybe it might not have been do you really remember that was or wasn't you no i have no idea but i i do remember one or two of my jumps wearing like swim shorts and a t-shirt. Yeah, somebody was out there grabbing for dear life. Oh no, I don't, I don't swim. Yeah, they weren't swimming, but they were <laughs> grabbing for dear life, man. They they were holding on to all there they could. I was like, ah, uh, we're not going that slow. <laughs> um, sorry, I got sidetracked. So 
you you eventually break that curve. You say, I want to, man, we got way off track. Yeah. I want to start learning to skydive. Yep. When you made those first couple of jumps, how, when, when you made that first tandem with me, and not your first hand, but that first hand starting your skydiving career, at that moment, did you know you were going to jump a lot? Did you know no, you? Absolutely not. What was your thought at that point? Jump here and there, 50 jumps a year? Um, See where this goes. I didn't think I'd make it through the program. I hated the exit. So my first couple of skydives, and I'm not sure if this is the same for everyone or just for me, but the exit felt like the drop you get from a roller coaster. You know, one of those rides that takes you straight up and then just drops you and you yeah. feel the drop in your stomach. I hate that. I can't stand it. Um, and for me, the first like four or five skydives I did, every time I left the airplane, it was that feeling and it was, it was bad and I hated it. And then the same thing under canopy, whenever we were on a tandem and you were doing turns, I hated it. I hated every second of it, but you know what? It was, nope, I need to stick through this. I need to, I need to do this for myself to show myself that I can do it. And if at the end of this, I decide that it's not for me then at least I can say that I've given it a shot. But When you say you hated it, like it was just too scary to be fun or it was uncomfortable, like what do you mean when, like what did you hate about it? Um, I would relate it to someone who says that they, they, they don't like going on roller coasters. Same thing for me, like just the feeling that it gave my body when those things were happening, so the exit of the airplane, the stomach drop. Um, a similar stomach drop, but more like the G-forces acting on my body on turns and stuff like that. It just wasn't for me. It just wasn't enjoyable at all. Like but I, more of a physical way than a mental way. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It was physical. Mental, I mean, for sure, in the airplane, I was scared, um, but not as much as you would think. I had spent a lot of time flying jumpers around and stuff like that, so that wasn't necessarily as much of, of a fear. I had also spent my entire life trying to convince people how safe skydiving was. So it was kind of hard to be scared of something that you spend your whole life convincing people is safe. You were really well composed in the plane. And, and I I could see your trepidation. I could see your fear. If you don't have some, you're an idiot. Right. But I could see you were well managed. You're like, man, these are the things I understand. These are the things I know. I've grown up watching people throw themselves out of planes. Yeah. Don't do anything stupid and I probably won't die. Mm-hmm. Um the 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 feeling under canopy. I'm curious. As the student on a tandem, did it feel different than when you were under your own wing? No, no. So that feeling was just as bad for you both places. I think this is why I consider myself a pretty conservative canopy pilot, especially as far as like traffic and stuff like that goes. And I think that has a lot to do with whenever I started jumping, how much I hated spiraling and i hated big turns like just doing a a 180 to get into the pattern i didn't like doing so i wouldn't you know let everyone else spiral down so i could start a 90 from super far away and get into my downwind leg i would make it work and i was felt like i was really good under canopy it just part of it i hated man what's so funny about this to me is all these things you're doing that are wrong under canopy and i know you don't believe <laughs> right. but they're wrong those are all the right behaviors we all should be doing and if people you know I, I say what's funny to me but you just won the last meet of flcpa in in the uh intermediate classes that beginner beginner class dude you are super conservative <clears throat> you fly big large pattern 
you minimize the amount of turns you make. If you've heard me do a canopy course or canopy seminar, you've probably heard me preach these ideas. Um, and yet now you've gone from that beginner who's thought that way to being able to compete and push at a high level. Man, maybe it makes sense. Maybe it's not just you. I mean, there's something to it. Yeah, maybe it works, guys. Maybe it does. <laughs> um, I didn't realize you hated canopy. Yeah, it's kind of weird. No one, no one would really think that if they just knew me now. Dude, his third. So that tandem was your whatever tandem. That tandem to get into the student program. We actually flew the pattern out in the student landing area, Nick. I don't know if you ever knew this, but I'm like, look, bro. There's not a lot going on. We don't really need catchers, so I, we're going to aim for the target. You're going to fly the exact same pattern. You're going to fly under your student main. I'm going to follow your lead. We're going to go exactly where you, you take me. And he lined up on the target, and it, we were on final. I turned away and said, like, sorry, dude, we're going to land in a dry spot. The target's wet. Good good job, but we're not landing there. And uh, otherwise, you would have had us there. Yeah. Your third jump, uh, your third STP jump, so your fourth jump back on radio. I remind you to finish your flare. And I, as I said, I remind you, I think you were already doing it. It was a super wet day. If you had any chance of standing it up, you had to finish it well. Other than that, in the target. So you've excelled under canopy. Yeah. But you didn't like it? I wouldn't say I wouldn't like it. I loved it. I, I feel like I've always had a, canopy, uh, a passion for canopy flight. I just, I don't think I liked certain aspects of it. I didn't, I didn't like the feeling that I got when I did big turns or spiraled down. I didn't. And I, I didn't want to be in other people's way because I was scared of, of collisions. I was scared of the possibilities of all the negative things that could happen. But I loved flying my canopy around. I loved trying to figure out which way the winds were pushing me and how my canopy was acting with me facing a certain direction or in a certain uh, flight characteristics of the canopy in different winds and using those to figure out where I should start my pattern to land where I want to. Like, all that stuff was really intriguing to me. It was just all the other stuff that I couldn't care less about. Man, people ask all, all the time different advice or different thought processes for canopy flight. And back to a, a the, we'll go back to the statement so many times. You grew up on a drop zone. You watch people get hurt. You watch people die. Yep. And so these are the things you thought you needed to do to survive the sport. Absolutely. Man, you were very young. You still are, but very young on the drop zone. But there was a lot of years in that time. So, I mean, if you're on a DZ, really think about it. A, a guy who grew up in the sport, a guy who saw it for 20 years of his life, decided that the smartest way to be was calm, tame, realistic under canopy, keep small turns. It's the only way to be. You've actually excelled, man. I'm, we'll get to canopy stuff in a minute, too. You just you keep setting things up. But now... You don't like canopy. You don't know if you're going to finish your student license. When did you realize, A, you were going to finish your license, and B, that you were going to do so much more? Um, so I think after a couple of jumps, I had made it a personal decision um, to finish the program as more of a, like, I'm going to finish to say that I gave it a shot. You know what I mean? It's it's Everyone says that it's in my blood. It's in my family. I have to be a skydiver. You have to do this. And I, I grew up hearing that. I grew up hearing, like, like you're a skydiver. You're going to be a skydiver one day. And so I decided at that point that if this was something that I really didn't like, which at the time I thought I didn't, then I was at least going to give it a fair effort. That way, if anyone else ever came up to me and said, hey, you're a skydiver, like, what are you doing? I can be like, no. I gave it a shot, and it's just not for me. So I think pretty quickly I determined that I was going to finish. Um, 
but maybe about halfway through the jumps um, was whenever I decided that it was something that I was starting to enjoy and started to get a little bit addicted to it. I think you were jumping with Tommy Miller at that point. No. Who no. was it? Jason Hyder. Jason Hyder. Yep. Man, tall skinny white boy either way. I did all of my jumps with... Um, Myself and Jason. You and Jason Hyder, except for dive flow 13 and onwards, which I did with KDP. I was KDP's first student. Fuck yeah, dude. That's badass. We started his student pro his student program, and this is right after we had bought Dallas. I had been up in Dallas for like a month, got home. Hey, I'm gonna be back in Dallas for three weeks. And he and he agreed. I'm not gonna didn't even agree. He told me, I'm not gonna <laughs> jump until you come back. I'm gonna wait till you're back. And I no problems. I'll wait till you come back. Blah, 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 blah. I said, Cool, dude. I would love it and I would appreciate it if you do. I actually would like you to do that. But I, but trust me, I get it. If you jump with somebody else tomorrow, dude, go for it. Do whatever you got to do. And I saw you three days later, and you had your videos for your last three jumps with you. Like, hey, bro, check it out. I jumped. <laughs> yeah, I think it was after that weekend we had flown up to Dallas. I think you were back up in Dallas yeah. doing some training, and we had flown up there, and I had like two days worth of videos with Jason Hyder, and I was like, hey, look what I just learned. <laughs> just did oh. like six jumps. It was so cool to watch, though, man. It was so cool to see that you couldn't let go. So it, to me, I think it becomes apparent now that that's when you were like, dude, this is this is where stuff is going good. Yeah. When you got through flips and, and really that's it. The first, you know now the first eight jumps, flips and shit are basic survival. Mm -hmm. From then on, you're learning group skills, how to fly with your homies. Yeah. You graduate, you get your license. Now you're jumping as much as you can. Yeah, I went pretty hard. When did you decide that instructor was something you wanted to do a year later so i got licensed i think like april 22nd of mm -hmm. 15 if my memory serves me correctly right around may june of 16 is whenever i kind of decided that uh i wanted to do something else not necessarily instructing i wanted off the pack and mat and I think me 16 is when you started, I think. 16 is when I got the rating, yep. No, no, when you started skydiving, I want to say. Oh, maybe, maybe. Because I we bought Dallas in 16, if I remember right. Uh, dude, yeah, if you if you haven't hit your three years yet, yeah, it would be 16. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so okay. 16 and, and 17. Dude. May, May-ish yeah, is going to be. May, June, yeah. Is going to be three years. Yep. You can get your uh, tandem rating then, May-ish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Put you and Thomas Hughes in a course together. He's going to do his tandem rating, he said. Awesome. Oh, God. That's going to be the easiest day ever. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, sorry, distracted. You uh, you decide you want to get your instructor rating. You decide you want off the packing mat. Yeah. You start doing AFF. You start doing STP is what we call it here in Houston. Mm -hmm. Why? What is it about STP? What is it about AFF? Um, I think I've always naturally been drawn to other people um, and kind of... Um, In a different way, I'm not sure exactly how to how to define it, um, but just like in a, in a personal way, you know what I mean. Like I've always had the desire to have a, a more personal relationship with with people, um, and so I think that accompanied with the fact that I love teaching and I love sharing my knowledge with other people, just kind of made that a natural step. Now you've been teaching. You've been an AFF instructor for 
Jesus. Okay, two thousand and so a year, just over a year and a half now. Uh, yeah, is that like what's a, about? a year and a month. A year and a month. Yeah, because Justin just was a year. You yeah. and Justin did your course together. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, somewhere during that time frame, you kind of got. You still like to teach. You still teach a lot, but you got another bug. You got another passion, and that was canopy piloting. Yep. When did when did that turn on? Man, this is <laughs> this is kind of a rabbit hole, but I th- I think it really took off right after my ratings course because so I started out jumping you know all of all of our student equipments the navigators saber twos etc and then we moved on to a storm and I was jumping this storm and I think it was a 150 and I was at like a 1.3 wing loading and I was starting to do like some basic front riser turns and and double front risers and stuff like that. And I was enjoying it, um, but I hadn't taken it too seriously. Well, then I had lost quite a bit of weight, which put me at a one-to-one wing loading on this 150 pretty much, or 1.1 to one, something like that. Um, And I was obsessed with wanting to downsize. I wanted to be on a faster canopy. I wanted to be on a canopy closer to what it was whenever I had purchased it. And that just wasn't a possibility. Um, my father looking out for my best interest and knowing that canopy flight and can be and is the most dangerous aspect of the sport didn't want me to rush it and wanted me to take my time and not downsize. Um, so through his guidance, I guess we could say, um, in force, I was stuck on that 150 for quite a few jumps. I think I was at probably about 650, 700 jumps before I got off of that. And I remember right before the ratings course, um, I had went up to him and we had had a conversation and he had had a heart to heart with me and, you know, congratulated me on the journey and just sat me down and said, like, like, look, it's regardless of what happens during the course, like, I'm, I'm proud of, of you for taking this step and um, putting forth the effort to get here. And we had a conversation and I had said, hey, like part of this for me is going to be working on my canopy skills. Like part of me being able to teach students is going to be me getting to the ground in an efficient manner to be able to radio them. If I'm landing at the same time as my students, I can't really do them do a whole lot of teaching. And uh, so he agreed and said, all right, let's take the next let's take the next step. Let's get that 135. So I did. And. At that point, I kind of decided, all right, let's uh, let's just take that as a yeah. Go ahead and keep downsizing, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized that if I kept asking for permission to downsize, I'd keep waiting 700, 800 skydives. Um, and if instead I just went through the right channels and did so in a safe manner and and showed everyone who I knew would be looking out for me that I was doing so in the right way then that would be the easier way to go. So what he's really saying is he'd ask us if it was okay, and then he said he'd throw us under the bus. Well, if my dad yeah. gets mad at me, I said it's you said fault. so. <laughs> DJ said it was okay. okay. At least you had a strategy. <laughs> it's good. I actually told you no every single time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Every single time is no, but, I mean, if you did, you would be safe, but no. Yeah. You can get away <laughs> with it. Yeah. But I don't think you're going to learn the best way this way. And at some point you said, forced by your father it was it's interesting because you ultimately made all those decisions yeah you could have and you knew from the beginning you could have gone behind his back and done all you wanted absolutely facebook's there for everyone yeah so you chose to 
you, you chose to go slower than you than you admit to in that conversation. Absolutely no doubt you wanted to go quicker. My my father's been in and around skydiving for getting close to 50 years now. Mm-hmm. You don't do that successfully by making stupid choices. <laughs> so when someone with that level of experience comes out to me, you need to take it with a grain of salt. You know... It may not always be true. It may not always be applicable, but at least listen to it. Yeah. Take, take it in. And so that's what I was doing. I was listening to him and I was hearing out all of his concerns, which were extremely logical and, and perfect concerns. And then I just decided where it fit for me. Where, where did your concerns match with, with my ability and where I actually was? So you struggled a lot during those days. I when I say struggle, you you knew you could go in a different direction, and you struggled, but chose to stay with his. Oh, it was the most frustrating thing in the world. In hindsight, and in those days, I know you knew you were wrong, and that you should just go ahead and do this. Mm-hmm. Today, how do you feel about those decisions? I feel like it helped. Yeah, I feel like it it kept me safe for sure. Um, when you're in a position that. I have been around the drop zone. I think it could be very easy to kind of get out of control and very quickly go down the rabbit hole of being unsafe as far as that progression goes without anyone saying anything. Um, Just because I feel like, especially during that point in my career, I didn't necessarily have enough of the close friendships for people to be comfortable enough coming up to me and say, hey, like, what are you doing? You're being an idiot. Like, you're going to kill yourself. You know, I think they just thought, hey, that's the boss's son. He does whatever he wants to do kind of thing. <laughs> so I think in that aspect, it really helped me out. Because I, I think now I definitely have those people who, if I was doing something stupid and, and was at the point where I was going to hurt myself, they'd come up to me and they'd be like, hey, you need to slow down a little bit. Um, Your family has grown. It's, it's uh, Really, you've always had aunts and uncles at the DZ, but now they've become brothers and sisters. Yeah. And I think you realize back in those days when you were learning, there were two people who would have told you the truth every day, your your brother and myself, Stephen and I both. And we talked about you regularly. Hey, you see Zach lately? Like, it was fun to watch you move forward. We'd sit back and just watch. I mean, you learn like a fucking sponge, man. How old are you now again? 21. 21, (laughs) man. Man, that's old age shit. I can't remember numbers. So it it quickly went from flying that 150, right, to to uh, the 135. And then at, I went through the AFF course. I got my rating. And then the day after that, me and Shuby and Colin left to go to Paris Valley for nationals. Shuby's <laughs> been commenting quite a bit as we've been going along here. Shuby. What's there, up, Shuby? How you there's doing? a whole lot of stories I'm sure Shuby would like for me to talk about about that trip. <laughs> about that trip to nationals? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like an interesting trip to nationals oh, y'all had. Man, there's, there's some good stories to talk yeah. about. But while I was there, I kind of decided... <laughs> man, it's time for me to take this progression into into my own hands. Like, if this is something that I really care about, if this is something that I really want to push for, then I can't just sit back and let this happen to me. I at least need to give it a shot. You know what? If I, if I do this and get shot down and, you know, I get the canopy taken away from me and told I can't jump it at the drop zone, then that happens. But I'm going to give it a shot. So there I went onto Facebook and I bought myself a couple canopies. I uh, ordered a 120 Katana demo and bought a 107 Katana as well as lined up a 103 Velo demo with Jake who was on the jump package at the time. So I was on the 135 and kind of lined up my next 
three downsizes for as soon as I got back, um, which I I then took very seriously. When I got back, the 120 demo was there for me, and I think I did like 110 jumps in a week on that canopy doing nothing but hop and pops. And then I did the exact same thing on the 107. I think it was a little less. I think it was like 80 jumps in a week, but it was still a pretty ridiculous number of, of jumps um, to, to get myself to that velo, um, which I, I then slowed down quite a bit as far as time frame wise, but still put a, a large number of jumps on, on those canopies before I progressed from there. Man, I, I know you did a shitload of jumps. Cause all I, you were on every load I was on doing hop and pops. Every time I turn around, you were doing a hop and pop. But I didn't realize those kind of numbers. Yeah, yeah. For those two weeks, that's yeah. not. Those aren't numbers that you can consistently do yeah. forever. And also, wouldn't be a progression. I would say most people should go through for sure. I mean, there's there's no doubt that uh, it's a fast progression, no matter who you are. And uh, I don't care who you're related to. You know, I'll tell you the truth every day, but. Not kissing anybody's ass. You are a sharp learner. You've learned quickly. I mean, back to the FF program, the STP program, you went through it quickly. You went through it well. So you progressed. You moved forward. Now you decide at some point, man, I want to compete. I want to take this to the next level. When did you make that decision? Um, I think it was always in the back of my head as something that I wanted to do at some point. I think it became a more realistic possibility towards the summer of this year. Um, I've always wanted to find something that I could compete in that was different than either of my brothers. The canopy was natural. You know, Eric shot video for four-way teams that won a gold medal at nationals. Steven was on four-way free fly teams that, or not four-way, but free fly teams that won gold medal at nationals. So then those are big footsteps to follow in Ant World. Yeah, so... Where, where can I go in and kind of find my own path? And so having um, a passion for canopy flight and then also having that kind of uncharted territory, so to speak, um, it's kind of just natural to push for that. I never put it together, but Eric, four-way FS guy, uh, camera for four-way, uh, Steven, three-way artistic, three-way free fly, and you canopy. Mm-hmm. I never, yeah. That that didn't come. That did not realize that. So your goals this year was to at the end of the season compete at the last FLCPA in beginner class, and also to compete at the nationals. Yeah, originally I wanted to go to the last two FLCPAs That's and then potentially nationals, but probably not. I didn't think that that it was worth my time just because I didn't think that I had the skill level um, to make it worth it. Mm-hmm. And then. The second to last FLCPA kind of came up and it happened to be on the same weekend as my older sister's wedding. So I couldn't make that happen. I had to be at the wedding. Um, so I got to be at the wedding. <laughs> got to. <laughs> I had to be at the wedding. <laughs> um, so <laughs> <laughs> so I, I ended up just settling for the last FLCPA in nationals. The last FL, so FLCPA, first of all, uh, Florida uh, Canopy Pilot and Association. Mm-hmm. Um, quite a few years ago, there was uh, CPAs all over the United States, MECPA, Mid-Eastern CPA, uh, California, et cetera. Um, for those who don't know, FLCPA is outside of 
not even outside, uh, just period. It is the largest canopy piloting uh, competition out there as far as it's a series. It's a season. Yeah. How many meets? Five meets in Six. a season? Six. Six meets in a season. So you get all sorts of regional, local competitors. You do get points throughout the season, et cetera. And they're commonly warm-ups to things like nationals. Right. Um, the last FLCPA is just prior to nationals. Correct. Like, as as soon as as close to nationals as possible. How many people are at this FLCPA because this is a warm up to nationals? I would say there was probably thirty five ish people there competing in yeah, all yeah, classes. Competing. Yeah. And how much? How big was? How busy was the scene on the ground? Man, you know, it, it was hard to say because it was like busy, but not really busy because. Well, you stuck around for nationals. The, yeah, the drop zone itself wasn't actually that busy. However, at the same time that FLCPA was going on, there was the other canopy uh, discipline nationals going on. So um, CF and classic accuracy and stuff like that uh, was going on. So there was a lot of like sitting on the ground waiting for planes, but not necessarily a whole lot of jumping. If that makes sense, there's so a lot was of a competition pace. level stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So FLCPA was much a national. So when I say busy, not necessarily how busy you were. The whole yep. scene, it was nationals like setting because yep. nationals was going on. Um, what what drop zone is this at? You, uh, Sebastian. Okay. Yeah. You competed in beginner. Mm-hmm. How many people were in that class? Eight, I think. Eight. And you, it's said and done. You first. Correct. Correct. Man, so this was like the Special Olympics of swooping. <laughs> I mean, you got if you Man, got gold. If you looked Timmy. at the roster of people that were competing, it yeah. was worse than the Special Olympics. We, <laughs> we were a special group of people, let me tell you. So wait a minute. Man, that's just that's just not that's uncalled for, Zach. That's just me. <laughs> so you you've done that and now you decide, wait a minute, I'm gonna compete at nationals. When did you know nationals was you did compete at nationals too? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. When did you decide for nationals? Um, like two weeks before I left. And FLCPA has three classes. Yeah, beginner, yeah. beginner, intermediate, and then pro. And then and then nationals is uh, advanced yeah. and pro. So really, the, you're flying a non-existent group as far as the beginner class, correct? To, to national level. Yeah. Uh, in nationals, you can you 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 compete in intermediate, mm-hmm. um, and how many people? Or some advanced? It'd be hard to say. I forget the numbers. It, it, good number of people. Yeah. Good number of people. And if I remember right, you're somewhere around the bottom two thirds. Yeah, not, absolutely, dude. Absolutely not bad like at all. Bottom three. Bottom three, uh, out of twelve. That's bottom quarter. No, I don't. Yeah. Uh, um, but still, not bad at all. What was what was different? Was it that much harder of competition? Did you fly different? Was it better? Man, was it there was a whole lot of things going on for nationals. Um, one of them being, obviously, this is kind of just an excuse, but you'll see how this plays in later on. But the weather, um, we had had pretty pretty iffy weather, pretty like windy conditions. Um, to the point of my first day of nationals, I did nine skydives and got two scores. So it was I made seven re-jumps in one day because every single time I landed, it was, oh, the winds were over limit, go make that skydive again. Or I think two different times I landed in the uh, 
the speed sensor on gate number one didn't pick me up as I went through it, so I didn't get a score, had to do a rejump. Um, so through the conditions and then all of that, there was a lot more jumping, so I think there was a lot more stress uh, and taxing on my mind and body. Um, those are extremely stressful jumps, at least for me, mm-hmm. they were. Um, every single one of them going up thinking, all right, this is the one that counts. Like This is the one that's going to give you the score. This is the one that's going to matter. And then landing and watching a judge walk over to you and you just know what's about to be said. Um, it's it's breaks you. It's um, It's hard to deal with. Did, was this something most of the competitors were seeing, or did you just have real shit timing? Both, both. I think there was there was a lot of rejumps that were happening. However, due to a couple circumstances, like one being the open class has a little bit higher wind limits, so they were right within the limits. So none of the guys in open had to do rejumps. Um, and then out of the people who were kind of in in my division who had to do rejumps it all started because one of our first runs for the day two or three passes the first gate sensor didn't pick it up so in speed the course is set up in a carve it's like a half circle shape as you pass the first gate the speed sensor goes off as you pass the last gate it goes off again the time it takes from gate one to gate four that's your score right so the speed sensor at gate one didn't pick us up as we went through it so after gate four, we didn't have a score. Well, we had hit all the markers, so it wasn't our fault, so it wasn't a zero, so we had to do a rejump. Well, pretty much everyone that had to do that first initial rejump just got screwed and got caught in this rotation of going up and it being too high by the time we landed and over and over. And it was pretty consistent that usually about one person per pass would, would actually get the score whether it was we were over the winds or the sensor wasn't working, usually about one person would get that round done. So by the end of the day, there was three of us who were re-jumping just over and over and over. Dude, brutal. How? What's the wind limits for advanced? Five meters per second, which is like 12, 13 miles an hour, something like that. Hey, fancy keyboard guy, can you tell us that? Yeah, I'm looking for the scores right now. I can't find the, uh, the scores posted. Uh, go to Control Good. Tower. Control Tower. Controltower.io, I think. Yes, sir. That's the uh, the company that runs all the scoring. And also has a swoop team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very, very cool people. So you, you guys keep re-jumping. Uh, yeah. When you, when, all these re-jumps, did you score the first? Yeah, so the first score of the day, I got a score. And it was a score I was happy with. It was all right. I was, you know, for my first ever jump at nationals, it was uh-huh. a very stressful situation, especially I was the second one out on the first plane of the first group. So I was the second person to land in front of, you know, all of my skydiving idols, all the people that I look up to and have been watching their videos to teach myself how to swoop. All these people are standing next to the pond watching me on this run. Um, so I was extremely happy that I scored there, and then it was, you know, consistent just disappointment through the rest of the day. Do you think your your performance was affected as much by what was disheartening you, or do you think you were sucking that day anyways? Oh, I think I was doing great that day. Okay. That day, I was killing it. I was on point. Every single jump that I had to re-jump, except for one, um, one which... 
they said I missed gate one on the entry, but it ended up being a rejump anyway, so it didn't matter. But all the other ones, I had really, really good lines. I had pretty good runs. Um, I was happy with the scores. I even asked on multiple occasions, like, hey, can I take that score? Like, even though it was over wind limits and the wind was at a headwind to where it's hurting me, it's affecting my score. Nope, can't take it. Um, however, I think it, it affected my mentality coming into it the next day. So the next day we decided because the fact that there was only three of us holding up the speed aspect of the competition, um, that we would change the course over to zone accuracy and distance for the morning. And then once the rest of the competition was over, we'd go back to speed and kind of knock that out. Um, and I think just through whatever reason, through stress and, and just getting in my own head about having to do all those re-jumps the day before I came out and the next day and my first two jumps of the day I planed out like 60 feet high straight over the water over the course (sighs) like in front of everyone like not even close like not even to the point where it would look like I knew how to swoop (laughs) like it looked like I had just gone up there and decided to do a 270 for the first time two two jumps in a row and it was like two jumps in a row I came out at the exact same spot I probably did the exact same turn and just like watched as i flew by like the zone accuracy <laughs> course and all my friends and all all my idols are just sitting there like shaking their heads like what are you doing dude where are you going yeah what the fuck are you doing zach yeah so that was bad and then we ended up you know i ended up scoring after that and having some some decent runs i think i had one zone act and one distance run after that that i did well in um but then man it just came down to like two more days of sitting there with wins and re-jumps um, to the point where I decided, yeah, I'm not going to hold up the competition anymore. Everyone else is done with their jumps besides the two of us that are waiting to re-jump, so I'll take a zero on my last two scores. I'm going to be in the the bottom three no matter if I take zero or have a score, so I just won't hold up the competition. So I took my zeros on the last two scores to kind of finalize the competition. Um but yeah, it was it was a pretty amazing experience. Just really cool. I just want to answer you guys' questions about the wind. Uh, it says maximum allowable wind speed as measured by an anemometer is seven meters per second in any direction except for Zonac, where it's five meters per second. There you go. It's, uh, five meters a second is eleven point one eight miles an hour. Seven meters per second is fifteen point six. Man, that that's exact numbers. Fifteen point mm-hmm. six. Um, that brings me to to a question and regularly I hear people who like to swoop who want to swoop and more particularly people who say they want to compete at swooping but won't jump in a 10 12 15 mile an hour wind day because it's windy and I want that's not swoop good swoop conditions the whole time I was there I was begging him to let me jump I was like dude I swoop in 18 mile an hour winds just let me do it I'll take the scores (laughs) yeah I think I think jumping in all different wind conditions is super important and I I think that that's something that I've focused on um in my own progression and i think that while i was there i realized just how much more i need to focus on it um cornelia being kind of the the prime person that that made me realize that and she she's perfect (laughs) what in every way (laughs) i love her creepy just her her canopy flight it's it's perfect it's it's that's the only way I know how to put it. It's it's perfect. She's where she's supposed to be when she's supposed to be there all time. 
Yeah. Um, I think the way that I explained it to someone else was after jumping with these people and watching them um, swoop for a couple of days, you kind of start to notice everyone's style Mm -hmm. and kind of their default turn. And you can watch as the the winds and the conditions change, and you can start to notice where people are adjusting their turn to uh, counteract those those forces, the winds and whatnot. And man, with Cornelia, it was pretty ridiculous because she was pretty much the only one who you'd never see that happen. Whenever I'd watch her, her turn would be exactly the same every single swoop, and she was dead on every single swoop. And there's only one way that you can do that, and that's if your setup and your pattern is perfect every single time. And that's all it really was. And, you know, I, I would love to get, get some coaching from her in, in the future. I was able to get a, a bunch of tips from her whenever I was there that I think uh, will probably change the way that I fly my canopy and, and patterns. But, yeah, it was pretty ridiculous to watch. It's it's something that's really important. It's we we talk around talk around the drop zone regularly some guy says i got 50 jumps i want to learn to swoop and commonly the answer is no you can't um i know you've heard me say it before yes you can we just have to show you how yeah. and one of the first things i convince them is flying a really good pattern is going to be paramount because it's traffic management it's the, the ability to get to the same spot at the same altitude with the same lack of traffic every time to do the exact same turn. If you can get to that same point, you'll get the most consistent turn when you can tune in so much power that way. Learn to fly a really good pattern. Is that when you say perfect, it's her ability to get to where she wants to be in time to do the turn she wants every time. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, anyone can sit there, watch a YouTube video, and break down a turn. They think, Mm -hmm. okay, you flare for three seconds, you let up, you hold your fronts for three seconds, whatever. Like, you count it out, and you could go up and you could replicate that fairly closely. That's not the hard part of swooping. It's it's everything that leads up to that that's the Mm -hmm. hard part. It's So... Watching someone who doesn't have to modify their turn at all because they've put in all this work beforehand, I feel like that's just like that's what everyone should be shooting for, right? That's perfection, and her scores show it. She killed it. I think she technically won our nationals, which is crazy, and FLCPA, if I'm not mistaken. And when you say technically won, she competed as a guest, yeah. yeah. So did, didn't get the medal or place. Do you know what she placed there, Nick? I'm uh, I'm looking up the uh, scores right now for at nationals. Open. Yeah, as I say at nationals, I know she got first. Yeah, um, I'm not sure at FLCPA though. She was competing as a guest though, right? Yeah, yeah. correct. You and I, th- <laughs> I w- yeah, uh, it has Kurt Bartholomew's overall score is 868, and her at 860. So they're very close. Gotcha. Well, you know wrong, mister. Maybe. Man, not you. everything you said today is a lie. I guess so. I can't trust you anymore. Um, I actually got to work with you a lot with Canopy stuff, and that's some of the things we talked about early on is how important it is to be able to do certain things like fly good patterns, be accurate, uh, fly in brake modes, brake landings. When you see swoopers, they're low more regularly than they want to be. They're building, they bailed out on the brakes, they're flying in brakes more than you realize. It's not deep, it's not bad, we're doing it safely. Learning to fly in brakes, all these things are important. Yep. You're back to the beginning of it. Your dad really was the largest motivator for you to go slow. You were the guy who did it. How important were all these basic fundamentals to where you're at? It was everything. Yeah. It was everything. I mean, especially with the progression that I took and how how fast it happened once it started happening. Um 
man, once you get on canopies like that, you don't have time to learn those things. You don't have time to make those, those decisions. You know what I mean? And, and make them incorrectly. Um, more importantly, um, you can do those on a bigger canopy and, and get away with it and learn from them and live and, you know, walk away from the situation to be able to jump again that day. Whereas if you might've made that same decision on a different canopy, um, you're not going to have the same result. And so I think learning all of those things on, on a parachute that was going to be safe for me was, was huge. Hmm. Man, we, we've kind of very loosely, very, I'd say shallowly chased where you've gone from this kid who showed up on the drop zone to pack parachutes, unhappy about it, to the, right now somebody who's completely lit up and on fire about the sport. Yeah. You, you've changed a lot through that process. What would you say skydiving has given you the most? What's the biggest reward that it's given you in this process of being able to accomplish these goals, jump, people? Happiness. What were you, so you weren't happy? No, no way. What were you missing? What is it that brought you the happiness? I don't think it's one thing. And I don't think it, it could really be defined. I think it just, just opened, opened things up or, or maybe filled the gaps. Um, I, I don't know. That's a hard question. Man, I, uh, very close observer. I say very close observer. I don't think saying observers is a fair word when it comes to you around the drop zone. I've been an active participant, been friends, hung out with you for, uh, quite a bit on the DZ. But your ability to be honest with yourself and to take criticism, I think has been a huge part of it. When there's something wrong, you will take it. You will try it. A great example, man. I don't really think I like the skydiving stuff, but I'm going to be honest with myself. I'm going to give myself that fair chance. So when people ask me, why don't you do it? You can say I've given it an earnest effort. I actually really yeah. tried. I think that open honesty with yourself. Is that something you struggle with? Is that something you realize? Um, not so much. No, I, I think... Do you realize you have that? Y yes. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. Real men of genius. <laughs> Sorry, I was pulling up some video from the uh, 2018 uh, Canopy Piloting National Practice Day. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, man, this was, is this from FLCPA or Nationals? I think it's from Nationals. Man, it's so cool what FLCPA does. And If you look on the right side of that monitor, that little window, yeah. that's what's going out live right now. Awesome. Yeah, that was such a cool event and having people there um, to, to give coaching and there was a whole day dedicated to uh, just getting coaching from, from Kurt, and that was the day before FLCPA. It was kind of the official training day, and Kurt Bartholomew sat out at the pond in a, a tent and just watched your landings, and as you walked in, you stopped by, and he'd give you, you know, one or two quick tips on what you could work on, and then you worked on it on the next one, and that was, it was huge. It was, Dude, would you say that's a pretty common attitude at these competitions? Yeah, I was pretty... Um, pretty amazed by how willing everyone was to share their information um especially freely you know i wasn't there paying anyone to give me coaching but yet pretty much every single load i landed from and i think i made nearly 70 skydives while i was there and almost every single load i landed from there was someone on the world level giving me advice or, or tips or something that i could work on and that's invaluable experience it's one of the most amazing sports, our nationals, and it's not just canopy. 
um, any of them is a we're so weather dependent. You know, you talk around about sitting around and having to do things over and over again. Yeah. But then also we're so community oriented. There's a point that they joke around in 12, 16 way called call Jack mm-hmm. or ask Jack because Jack during 16 way Jack. God, what's his last name? Jack Burke. Thank you. Jack Burke would be sitting there engineering Arizona with Arizona Airspeed or the Golden Knights on how to that quickest way to build these formations because Jack knows 16 way engineering. And these are the people who are going to easily beat everybody. And right. Jack's still helping them beat his own team. Yeah. The ability or the, the desire to share information at Nationals is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about how self-aware you are, though. It, it's it's and, and honest you are with yourself about those things. You were saying it's hard. Do you remember where we were at with that? Yeah, it's hard because I think I think it's a good thing and a bad thing. You know what I mean? Um, I, I think it can be good whenever you use it in the right way and you acknowledge that, yeah, I see these faults and that's okay. Um, but it can also be bad because, man, if you if you let it get to you, always thinking about your faults and always thinking about what you could be doing better can very easily turn into a, a negative downhill spiral. Um, especially for someone who's struggled so severely with depression like I have. That's, it's a very thin line between on top of the world and in the dumps. Man, it just seems like this sport has given you so much life and so much attitude. It has. It's, it's amazing to watch how much you've grown and how much you've come out of your shelf in the last two years, two and a half years. Um, curiosity, what are you doing Saturday night? Gonna be uh, drinking at the Gravity Lab Radio Film Festival. Oh snap! Film Festival on Saturday. Did you put a video together? You know, I was actually talking with DQ about this this morning. Yesterday, I was sitting around, and it was maybe about the fourth day of doing absolutely nothing all day long. And I was like, "Well, it's time to do something. It's time to stop just sitting here not getting anything done. Let's go through these videos." And I have probably close to two terabytes of videos from skydiving. Like, I have every skydiving video I've ever taken just sitting on two hard drives at my house, and I've never done anything with it. I think I've maybe posted a total of four or five of them on Facebook ever. Like, never (laughs) made an edit with any of them. So there's just, like, literally 1,500 videos on my computer that I needed to go through. And so I went through with the mindset of, all right, we're just going to take the really cool ones for an edit and we're going to put them into this folder everything else we'll deal with it a different rainy day right and i get through and i'm like all right i feel like i was pretty selective i feel like i have a good range of clips to make this video and then i open the folder and i think i had like 164 clips in there (laughs) and i was just like yeah that's not gonna work um and so i i kind of started coming up with a couple of different ideas for my videos and came up with two different ideas and kind of narrowed those clips down even further to the point that I have all the clips for the videos set aside. But I was also thinking I had two more weeks to make this video. <laughs> two more really great yeah. days. Do bad weather, <laughs> man. The forecast yeah, doesn't look great. And then I went online to look at the uh, the rules for the video and as soon as I opened up the Gravity Lab page and it was like, in two days. And I was just like, ah, yeah, maybe. Grind it out, man. You got it. you can do this. Less than five minutes. So my original idea, I can tell you because it's not happening, it's way too much editing, was because I feel like a lot of people... Don't tell us and save it. Do it next year. Okay. 
I feel like a lot of people never saw like all of my bad swoops. You know what I mean? Like the month where I came out high every single swoop because mm-hmm. I was taking 200 jumps to bring it down from 300 feet high to across the ground, you know? Oh, man, you were taking a long time. And so I have... <laughs> <laughs> there were times where I was thinking, man, you're kind of being a pussy right now. Yeah, oh, but for I sure. Push. Absolutely. <laughs> and now I looking back on it, I think I was a little bit, but I think it, it was the right way. But I agree. I, I have pussy. like 700 videos that are just 270s that are coming out high. And it's like some of them are ridiculous, like 300 feet off the ground. And others are, you know, two or three feet off the ground. But I was thinking about making just one long 270 with like 700 clips. (laughs) And then just being like a different clip all the way throughout the turn. But that was a lot of editing effort. Yeah, yeah. that's... That's rough. Man, that's rough. That's a bad idea right there. I actually have three videos already. Um, Patty... Patty Wrongway sent me her <laughs> video, uh, gave me a thumb drive, and then I got home the other day, and she said, by the way, on your thumb drive, I did not know, is a second video, and the second video, my daughter, who's not a jumper, put a video together and entered it, um, but cool. I don't know what it is, so I'm not going to get to see it to the day of. Sweet. And I got to watch, I watched, actually, I was going to wait and watch his videos tonight with you, Nick, but I watched it, and I learned one thing. Patty's daughter is a smoke show. Just saying, man. How old is she? I she's I don't know. She's got a kid. Yeah, all right. And she's old enough to jump. <laughs> I was jump. gonna say you might you might want to. Yeah. No, I'll stop right there. <laughs> Let's. She's an adult. She's old enough to okay. have a kid, and she's gonna make a jump. So, no, but she's a very beautiful gotcha. girl. And you'll see her. She's a very very pretty young lady, and she did a nice little film about her mom. So it's actually awesome. pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Amir sent me one this, uh, today as well. So I've heard uh, a few people talking. Zach, you're gonna finish one in two days. Yeah, come I think on, the man. Real, I think the real decision is if Pickle Zach shows up to the Gravity Lab radio. Hey Zach, yeah. Chris What's Schubert's up? been cheering for Pickle Zach all <laughs> night. Hey Zach, <laughs> What's GoPro up, Seven. You could get a GoPro Seven. Yeah, I know. I could really use to not use Kate's GoPro anymore too. I'm sure you heard about that, Nick. I did see that GoPro had offered us a GoPro Six. Yeah, they do tell us behind the scenes, or or at least a GoPro Six or at a minimum or something. So right. there's more. Uh, we don't necessarily advertise that. We just say a GoPro 6 because we get upgraded, we get lucky, and they did it. They did it again this year. That's awesome. Yeah. The camera looks sick. Oh, man. I want one so bad. Like, now, Nick, I'm, I'm going to enter Nick's trailer into the film festival. Hey, I got two days to make my own video, all right? <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> wait a minute. Nick's not eligible to win. So whatever, man. People are going to step it up this year, and the, the, the level's going to be high enough that maybe there's going to be a... A, a Nick class, a, a master class next I, year. I oh. think you just need a screen name. You know, like writers who write books, they don't they don't use their. Real you know, name. I really thought about <laughs> just making a video and be like, "Oh, I heard I wasn't allowed to enter. Fuck everybody!" <laughs> and then the, that's the start of the video. <laughs> but I didn't do that. That is the best start. That that start alone, you could put a pile of dog poo after it, and it's going <laughs> to win the video just because you entered it that you way. You know, I thought about just finding the worst footage I could find, like all of my worst footage, <laughs> and then just editing it really well to make it super cool and fun to watch, and then using a good song. I think that shit would work. I think that'd be sick. But yeah, it hasn't. Show hasn't people it's up. not all about the footage. That's right. Dude, you're Reddit famous. I'm sure you saw a post I to did, you about that. I did that. see that, yeah, from, yeah. Front page of Reddit this last week. And it's not you at all. They don't, they just say, we slapped a red camera on our friend's head, and this is the footage he got. 
So it's pretty close to being true. <laughs> the I mean, comments that, were that, pretty funny. That was our uh, yeah, dude. It had some ridiculous amount of comments. Yeah, I was. I read maybe fifty of them and was like, man, people are funny. This is cool. I I woke up and I admit I check Reddit pretty frequently, a couple times a day, and like woke up and saw that on there and like had no idea that it was you guys. I had you know I thought it might have been just based on the title of it, but then clicked on it and started reading through the comments. It was it was cool reading like thousands of people talking about your friends. Yeah, it's uh, Reddit's a weird thing, man. I yeah. don't spend much time on there, but man, there's definitely a serious Reddit community. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. It's it's ridiculous, and you can get lost real quickly in Reddit. Yeah, yeah. I used to be a frequenter of uh, just the r slash videos page. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then there was another one. Oh, uh, justice porn. Did you ever watch that? No. It's just you know what like instant karma yeah, would mean. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like a bunch of that stuff. Someone who. Is bull- bullying someone else who right. just gets owned super quick. Yeah, that shit was super entertaining to me. But yeah, I don't I don't spend much time on it these days. Yeah, I've, I've slowly drifted away from it just because it seems like it's more of a time sink than anything else, and I feel like I have more useful things to be doing with my time these days. I there's I will check our MMA every day. It's that's the one subreddit that you catch me checking every day. After that, I might check something here or there. Yeah. But the MMA Reddit, just the, it's full of any breaking news. That's the easiest and quickest way to find out MMA news. Well, that's the quickest way to find any news. Every, yeah, it really you, is. You open up Reddit, and man, like if there's a, a national tragedy going on, let's say like one of the school shootings or mass shootings that have been happening, you open up Reddit, and it's on there before it's on the news. Yeah. It's pretty ridiculous. People want to be the first one and get the most Reddit. I've got a buddy who's super into wanting Reddit karma and mm-hmm. gets upset that he doesn't get any. And then his friends will pe- post something completely random and get a couple hundred Reddit karma. Yeah. Just, he gets upset. It's you like, never know. I'm trying, and you guys just post stupid things. We're like, mm, our lives are cooler than yours, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe you're a dud. <laughs> so, uh, dude, do not go down the Reddit. Reddit rabbit hole. Yeah, save yourself. Man, so I heard recently you said something, and that was something about never wanting keys. Do you know what yeah. I speak <laughs> of? Yeah. What's that line? Keys and something? Um, I can't remember exactly what I said. It was uh, keys. What's the gist of it? I never want keys and something else because that means that I'm responsible. I feel like the other thing was important to the story, but it was basically just like someone was asking me if I had keys to the drop zone or asking why I didn't just open up the drop zone or something like that. And it was... Keys in the alarm code or something. Yes, keys in the alarm code. It was because the alarm was going off and it was waking people up in suburbia. And I... I would have slept through it. I slept through a hurricane as, as a kid. Like, <laughs> I sleep through anything. Um, but I had woken up and I was headed to the gym, so I had gone outside my trailer and had heard it going off. Um, and the only thing that I can do is call my brother. So I send him a text like, hey, the DZ alarm's going off. Someone's like, dude, why didn't you go turn it off? Like, I don't I don't have that code. I don't have keys to this place. I'm like, why not? I don't want them. Like, even if they were offered to me today, I'd, no, I'm good. You want to know why? Because then when the DZ alarm's going off, I'm called to go over there and fix it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or when everybody's there staying late and drinking yeah. and they need somebody to lock up. Hey, hey, you're staying here so drinking too. You're on the list. Oh, yeah. Hey, tell your brother Steven that we got a film festival Thursday, Saturday night. We need him to lock up. Oh, Ste- hey, Steph hey, already Steven? knows. Steph no, already no, no. Knows. Steven needs to specifically lock up. And he also needs to be there to monitor the party. 
So maybe he can hang out. And Are you saying Stephen's babysitting you during the film festival? <laughs> Is that what's happening? <laughs> I'm saying Stephen needs to hang out with the rest of us. It's uh, actually it's pretty cool because I think that's one night he enjoys and plans on hanging yeah. out. When we have the film festival, I think he likes to be there for that one. It's 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 cool because damn, last year we had just shy of eighty people show up and hang out for this little get together, man. Oh my god, are we gonna have pizza again? No, <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have pizza last year. Dang it, Nick. Oh, yeah, that's karaoke. <laughs> last year we had popcorn. I, I haven't had pizza in months. We have popcorn we, last year. Would really like some. Brisket tacos, man. Jay Daniel from oh, yeah, Landy Point right. Cafe. He's going to do about 150 tacos. So awesome. There's only 150 of them. I, that's, yeah, I'll that, start with 10, please. I'll start with 10. So good luck man, with that. Last, last film festival was... That was an embarrassing night. <laughs> we had a keg, didn't we? Yeah. Why was it an embarrassing night? What happened? That was the night that Pickle Zack was born. Oh, tell, can, can you tell yeah. a story about Pickle Zack without getting yourself in trouble? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we want um, to go here. So we kind of got to preface this by saying if you don't know what Rick and Morty is, and you don't really know what Pickle Rick is, you're not really going to understand this completely anyways. Will you catch me up with what Pickle Rick is? Would it help? It's basically um, this absolutely ridiculous cartoon. and this I've got a video in- inside Pickle Rick. Rick and Morty, Adult Swim. I'll see if I can get something on the screen for you. The Grandpa Mad Scientist, he he's always on crazy new adventures. And this one time, he turns himself into a pickle. And so he's talking to his grandson. He's like, look at me, Morty. I'm a pickle. Like I've turned myself into a pickle, Morty. I'm Pickle Rick. And just like starts screaming and freaking out. And then he proceeds to like go insane for the rest of the episode, like taking over a cockroach and like controlling it with his hands and its brain to like I, I don't know. It's just so out there and ridiculous. It's definitely something that you want to be tripping on acid to watch. So last, so, so, so this is Pickle Rick right here, and he's just do, about. Do we to need? Be, do we need volume? Is that going to help? The, oh the yeah, situation? absolutely. He's about to be swept down the storm drain. It's this giant animated rolling pickle. Well, it's not as big. It went down a storm drain. It sounded like a turd. So basically, the um, his daughter, the mom of the show, was just fed up with him. She's she's fed up with all of his shenanigans. So she just left him there. And so he's kind of just. So this pickle's a regular character on the show. Oh no no he he's a, a grandpa. He's a real dude. He's just a mad oh. scientist. Oh, and he turned so, himself okay. into a pickle. I've already missed the pickle transformation. Yeah yeah. Okay. yeah. He's biting off the head of a cockroach right now. Or the cockroach is trying to crawl inside of him. So, Pickle Rick. This is where Pickle Rick comes yeah, from. Yeah, so this is this is the background behind Pickle Rick. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, Pickle Zach, before I get caught up watching this. So, so, then, the other thing that you need to know is who Dobbins was. Mr. Dobbins? Mike Abbott. This guy was probably the quickest person to have gone from I don't know you to you're my best friend um, that I've ever met in my entire life. Uh, We literally went from like never speaking a word to each other to hanging out every single night till three in the morning every single night for the rest of the year, literally instantly. Um, And we partied pretty hard together. We we made it a ritual that whenever we were finished uh, jumping for the day, we would hang out in front of Kate's house and we would drink and we'd hang out there as people finished up, they'd come join us. And then as people went home, they'd leave. But at the end of the day, there was always us. 
And so the film festival day kind of started like every other day. We actually had no idea the film festival was happening. <laughs> so we sat there. We're just outside of Kate's and we're drinking beer and we're having a good time. And then someone's like, oh, hey, you guys should come back over to the drop zone. There's a party going on. And so at this point, we're, we're getting pretty drunk. Like, like, we've been waiting on all of our friends to show up, and they haven't been coming because they were all hanging out at the drop zone waiting on the film fest. So it was just the two of us just sitting there pounding beers for like four hours. <laughs> and so we get to the drop zone, and yeah, we're drunk for sure. And the film festival starts, and there's a keg there. Well, everyone kind of grabbed a beer or two from the keg, but then halfway through the film festival, it was like, hey, let's take a break. And, and just, like, have an intermission. Well, me and Dobby sat around the keg and drank it until it was gone. And, like, <laughs> even drank it, like, ten minutes into the film festival. And then at some point, there was either another break or maybe it was at the end. We were hanging out out back. And for some reason, I decided to yell that I was Pickle Zach. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, there had to be 50, 70 people there. And... I can't remember what we were talking about, but I'm sure something about the show came up. And then just in the middle of nowhere, I just screamed as loud as I could, like, I'm Pickle Zach. And I guess it was a pretty good response. And everyone cheered and kind of screamed back at me. And uh, that was that. And I guess I proceeded to call myself and scream Pickle Zach for the rest of the night, for the next couple hours as we partied in suburbia. I woke up the next morning and... Didn't remember any of this happening, like any of it at all. I remember showing up to the film festival and that was pretty much it. And so I'm like walking my dog the next morning before work, like, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to go take her on a long walk, try and sweat some of this alcohol out of my system, like, so I can feel a little bit better for the day. And so I'm walking her up the driveway to the drop zone. And like from the time I get to the start of the driveway until the time I get to where my car was at the drop zone, like parking lot four different people stopped and pulled over on the side of the road and like unrolled their window and just yelled, yeah, pickle sack at me out the window. And I'm just looking at him like, Oh God, what happened last night? <laughs> Cause at this point, like I don't, I don't have any idea what they're talking about. Um, and so later on I, I get the story from some people. I think it might've been like Sam Lombardo or someone like that, that broke the news to me. Like, yeah, dude, you were, you were a riot last night. And, you were determined you were Pickle Zach, so that became a thing. It became my new nickname. <laughs> That's beautiful. I mean, <laughs> did you have any other, like, terrible ideas going through your head about why you may have been dubbed Pickle Zach? No. No. no just... I mean, I, I figured it had to do something with uh, Pickle Rick because I, just our group of friends is pretty serious into Rick and Morty, <laughs> or was at the time. Pretty serious about Pickle Rick. I don't well, know. <laughs> we, we'd all hang out at Brockton's, and... Brockton would play the same three episodes of <laughs> Rick and Morty every single day that we were over there, and we were there every single day. So I'm gonna have to yeah. watch these three episodes. I'm gonna have to get with it. Yeah, yeah, behind so, the time. <laughs> that's how. That's how pickles act. So born. pickles. Act. Hold on a second. So you really want your brother there to babysit you? No, pickle. No. Pickles. I think, act. I think I'll take it easy. Pickle sized powerhouse. Which came first? Pickles act. Okay. So the pickle sized powerhouse was kind of a joke so i'm sure everyone knows our, our friends sam and nicole mm -hmm. who have a team called the pint-sized powerhouse and that's because well they're pint-sized people they're tiny um and it's perfect and it's cute and it's awesome and i love it and 
one day, pretty soon after the Pickle Zack thing happened, uh, me and Griffin were going to do a jump. And if anyone knows Griffin, Griffin calls everyone Pickle. They just be like, ah, you Pickle, like to everyone. And so whenever we were in Manifest, we were sitting there talking with Nicole, getting on the load, and she was asking us what, what we were doing. And Griffin looked at us, it, or looked at me and goes, we're doing a Pickle Way. And Nicole was like, oh, man, that sounds like a lot of fun. Can I come on it? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Come get in on it. At this point, like, it was just a joke. It was ha-ha, and that was it. Well, then we're in the loading area, and I see Sam, and she was doing a two-way with someone. But I see this opportunity just to mess with her a little bit. I was like, hey, Sam, did you see that uh, Nicole is our new videographer for me and Griffin's new team? She's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, like she's coming to film us. We're doing some MFS. We're uh, starting our training today. And she was like, couldn't quite tell if I was serious or messing with her. And then she was like, no, you're messing with me. Like, like you don't even have a team name. I'm like, yes, we do. And she's like, what is it? And just for whatever reason, like the first thing that came to my mind was pickle sized powerhouse. (laughs) And she just looked at me with like this look of disgust and hate. And it was the greatest thing in the world. That look on (laughs) Sam's face. Are you sure? It's (laughs) never seen that one before. That look is wonderful. (laughs) So she gives me that look and she's just like, dude, like stop fucking around. Stop messing with me. And I'm like, I'm not kidding. Like we have stickers on their way. And she's like, she's like, no, like, stop. Like, that can't be a thing. And it wasn't, but then it, it did. It instantly became a thing. As soon as she was like, no, like, that cannot happen. Um, and then it just so happened that later that day, I was working with my student who was a graphic designer. Is it Elsa? Yeah, Elsa. Uh, I was working with her. I think, wasn't she my first student? I think, I think she was. I couldn't tell you. I think Elsa was my first student. But anyways, I was working with her, and I was like, man, like, I was just talking with Dobby, and I was like, man, I need to get these stickers drawn. She's like, little do you know, not only can I draw you stickers and make you a design for your logo, I also work at a printing company, so I can have those stickers printed. How about Friday? This is like on a Tuesday. <laughs> and I'm like, this is perfect. And so it was, wasn't was two hours after she left the drop zone. I had a Facebook message from her. And it was um, a sketch. And it was exactly what my Pickle uh, logo is today. And yeah, it just worked out perfectly. <laughs> so as soon as I heard that, I was like, yep, let me get 100 of those stickers. And when I got them, I think I had them for about five minutes. And then they were all gone. <laughs> <laughs> And they went all over the place. <laughs> I think at one point there was one on the caravan that I got yelled at for, which wasn't even me. But Inside <laughs> or outside of outside. the plane? Oh, yeah, that'll get you. Who yeah. yelled at you? A couple different people. <laughs> yeah. Any of them last name Boyd? Oh, uh, Yeah, that one actually wasn't so mad. Okay. The, old, the old man wasn't as mad. Uh, Trent was pretty mad. And <laughs> I think the other person that was mad was Brian. You know what I love? Seeing Trent upset. Well, that's every day. <laughs> yeah. So I want to tell this story about my buddy Trent just because I thought this was something serious. So I'm in the hangar and I hear him having a really loud argument on the telephone. <laughs> and he's saying something, something, this order and that and blah, blah, blah. And I, I understood the conversation I was hearing that someone had messed up an airplane part. 
Like that someone had gotten an airplane part order incorrect, and he was really upset about it because airplane parts are expensive. They take a long time to move around. You're keeping an airplane on the ground. This all made sense to me until I realized that he was having a conversation with the person at McDonald's who hadn't given them, like, whatever. It was McDonald's or Chick-fil-A, some fast food place, where whoever he was yelling at was the person who was responsible for his... uh, chicken nuggets or hash browns or whatever not being in the bag and uh, i was really really happy that he was that upset about such a tiny little thing that's awesome made it even better for me trent has convictions he he believes in what he believes and he's he's got convictions (laughs) but he was cursing he was seriously (laughs) shouting and like it was like felt like you would only yell at someone you know well at that level because that's the only person who could possibly <laughs> offend you and do wrong by that level. But nope. Just Random the lady at the drive through at the fast food joint. Nick, have you heard? So there's two stories that I, I wanted to make sure got brought up. And the first one was what happened when DJ first moved here and started working at the drop zone. The one I blew up your mom? Yeah, that story. <laughs> and the other one, mom? I got I to gotta tell now because it's, it's about Trent. Have you ever heard about when Trent put me in a garbage can? No. Uh, no, but <laughs> <do you> tell? <laughs> no. So it just fits in with, with everything that you know about Trent. But Did whenever, he hold you at gunpoint first? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't think he was quite as, as Republican as he, as he is now. But... Um, he was running the gear store at the time, I think. And I remember I was just being a punk. The gear store room. Yeah. And I was just running around, beating up Stevie and Trent, and just like running around, just like punching them. Well, what I didn't know is that at the time, my punch was were dick height. And so every <laughs> single punch I threw was just a shot to the balls. And they were getting tired of it. Good strategy, though. <laughs> and so I remember at one point Trent being like, hey, if you do that again, like... You're going to pay for it. And then me just be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then just like going at it again. Well, I paid for it. He, uh, <laughs> he grabbed me and I, man, I had to be like five years old at this time. And he grabbed me by the ankles, carried me outside the pro shop by my ankles, took me over to the women's uh, bathroom trash can, the same one that's there now. And at this point, it, uh, it was still like full of empty beer bottles and trash and stuff like that. And he just starts dunking me in it. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just like drops me headfirst into this trash can and just like walks away. And it's just like, all right, I bet you won't do that again. <laughs> <laughs> well, did, I did, didn't. <laughs> yeah, we learned a lesson. That <laughs> who, who helped you out of the trash can? I think it ended up tipping over ah, and then I go. got out of it and then had to pick up all that trash and put it back <laughs> in, which is just like insult to injury. I didn't even put myself here. And then uh, I think my dad's reply was, well, you mess with the bull, you get the horns. <laughs> <laughs> Truth. Got to watch out for Trent. Man, oh, what a grumpy feller. A grumpy, grumpy guy. Um, yeah, dude. You know, I really enjoy his grumpiness, though. Oh, I enjoy too. Trent, dude. I, I love Trent. Especially when it's on Facebook. You, and you know where he stands. <laughs> if you don't know where you stand with Trent, you're not listening to what he's saying. That's He, he will tell you how he believes right here and right now. And I like that honesty. So we had a second story about DJ and your, <laughs> your mom? I'll let DJ tell this one. Please I, do. I, um, so you didn't know. You don't know. I haven't told you the story of blowing up his mother when I first moved here. I mean, yeah, blowing her up right. in the sense that you were texting her a bunch? <laughs> or were <laughs> like there explosives yeah. involved? Dyn- dynamite. dynamite. Okay. Um, so I show up, and uh, when I showed up, I had mm, somewhere around 80 
little firecrackers that were the equivalent of homemade quarter sticks of dynamite. We would take these things and put them underneath like a 50, you know the 55-gallon barrel trash cans we used to have out front? Sure, yeah. We, we could launch one of those 100 feet in the air straight up. Put that little thing of dynamite, put that trash can on top, it goes straight up, no problems. Um, bowling balls blown to smithereens, pots 300 feet in the air. So it's a little quarter stick of dynamite. And here in Texas on Christmas and the 4th of July, we can buy fireworks. And Hoop, you know Hoop, mm-hmm. bought a shitload of fireworks. We're going to set off fireworks. We're going to put on a big show. So are these legal fireworks that you're describing? Not, not the ones I had. Okay. The ones I had where you bought them from some dude somewhere. Um, it was like a drug deal, basically. Gotcha. So drug deal with explosives. <laughs> <laughs> not sketchy um, at all. No, no, not at all. And so the Swoopon used to be about, what, a third its size, would you guess? Yeah, it was about a third its size and way deeper. It was 14, like 20, 20 feet yeah, deep or something. Big giant cone. And we had a dock that went out on it. The water was super low, and so the banks are real steep. This is 2008? 2005. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. Zach was eight years old at this yeah. point. 2005, and we're sent fireworks off. And at some point, Hoop suggested, hey, everybody should watch from the other side of the pond. A, because it's going to be a better view looking up than it is being directly underneath it. And B, things are blowing up over here just in case. We didn't really think that much of it we thought like maybe a firecracker would go off and we just didn't want firecrackers going off every so often i would take that quarter stick of dynamite toss it underneath the the dock and let it blow up underneath us and echo it was loud as fuck dude and they're homemade so the ends of them are glued on with hot glue gun just big wad of melted glue and apparently how far away were you guys sitting zach a couple hundred feet away no, no, a lot closer. Than that, okay, <laughs> so yeah, yeah I, mean, I would say maybe we were a hundred feet away. I, I would, yeah, it was really close. I threw one of those off, and that little fucker came out of the back end of that thing, plugged his mother right in the leg, boom, bang, and at this point, we don't know what's going on. Michelle's down, grabbing her leg, and and just to preface, DJ's been working at the drop zone for how Two long? Two months. Okay. Two months. So here I've blown up the boss's wife. Beat it, new guy. And, <laughs> and anyone who's been around the drop zone, I don't know if you've ever seen my mom at the drop zone, but chances are probably not. No. Which tells you the boss's wife is not the person who you blow up when she shows up <laughs> no. for the one random event she decided to no. show up for. By the way, she hugs me every time she sees me. <laughs> Such a sweet lady, man. We get along great. Um, dude, your sister's crying. I think you were crying at that point. Yeah, I think all three of us were <laughs> were thinking it was it was over for old mom there. <laughs> so DJ, thanks for the post traumatic stress, <laughs> dude. I I gave it a few minutes, walked up, apologized. Uh, immediately was well received, and immediately realized that that was all I needed to do for the moment, and backed off. And it was like, okay, that was as good of an interaction as yeah. I could have had. And the next time I saw Michelle, which probably days later. Um, very approachable, very nice, very understanding. Like I, I paw my like, hey, I'm so sorry. She's like, no big deal happens. I, I think I, was <laughs> I get blown up all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you should see my phone. I think I was probably 16 or 17. So like, getting close to 10 years after that happened, before like the first thing that DJ said to my mom when he had a conversation with her wasn't, "I am sorry. so sorry." But part and of I'm, it is, is we I'm saw her every two years. It was, it was literally for eight years. It was the first thing he would say when he saw her was, "I am so sorry." <laughs> yeah. And then it was like, "Hey, how are you? Like, how's it going?" But it would be like, "I am so yeah. sorry." <laughs> it's do we we've gone out to other DZs, and you know, part of it is she knows nobody else, but she'll sit with me at dinner every time. Yeah. So I mean, that's gotten there 
Shout out to my mom. She's the best. Dude, your mom is super cool. Uh, I really got to know how Both his mom. Both my moms. His. Kate. 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 And my mom. That's your mom. <laughs> Um, <laughs> last last comment posted from Chris Schubert. Her name is Mum. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's the wrong mom. Yeah, um, I blew up your mum. <laughs> I uh, um, shit. Your mom. The biggest compliment I knew I could get paid is when she showed up to watch you jump and said, "I didn't want anybody else teaching you, teaching him, but you." Yeah. yeah. And then that was huge, man. So yeah, that's how I started my job at Spaceland. <laughs> I do for the first like the next morning. I was pretty sure I still had a job. But I was definitely like, I uh, wouldn't be shocked if you booted me right yeah, now. For I, sure. It was, I, was, I was nervous. Immediately, the next time I saw Steve, I knew I was okay, but I wouldn't do that again. <laughs> <laughs> I also don't think anybody ever sat near any of us with those firecrackers I was, again. I don't think anyone is going to do that again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we still sat off those firecrackers, but people kept their fucking distance after that. Yeah. There was no doubt. Did you ever, uh, you ever put one in a watermelon? Yeah, dude. Those things are great. We went through hundreds of these in Indiana. I came here from Indiana with these things, and you name it, we set them off. We tried to blow Mailbox? In. Mailbox, tree. Trees don't blow up like you think they would. Just got to drill a hole in it. <laughs> no, you got to try it. <laughs> the, those fibers expand and contract, and they, man, it takes a lot more to blow up a tree than you might think it does, <laughs> even if it's dead. He sounds pretty experienced. Yeah, we, we blew up a lot of stuff yeah. as kids, too. I was We, we had an ex-Special Forces guy talking about impulse charges and how to tie or tape a bag to it, a water bag, to make sure the... Uh, man, I don't know any of it, but dude, no, can't blow up a tree very easily. <laughs> that I can't fucking tell the, you. The bombs that we had, we would take a, a little um, CO2 cartridge, a little metal yep. yeah. compressed air cartridge, let the air out, hollow that hole out a little bit, fill it with black gunpowder, and then we go get a, a metal fuse that they used to set off like a model rocket, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And man, those would blow up all sorts of stuff. That was so fun. Did you ever put one in a bowling ball? Never did a bowling ball, no. Do we have to, the thumb hole on a bowling ball is too small. We have to drill out a thumb hole of a bowling ball to put these firecrackers in. And um, drilled all the way to the core and no shit, 300 plus feet in all directions. You have bowling ball shrapnel, just little itty bitty chunks. God, man. can we please do that in free fall just one time? <laughs> <laughs> if I could still get a hold of these things, I would, man. I, like I said, I moved here from, I, I probably transporting illegal bombs across state lines or <laughs> some bullshit I'm saying on the internet. Great. <laughs> Not too smart. Great. Um, but Allegedly. Dude, Isn't that how, what, yeah. you, dude, what you say? So, someone is a, who isn't me? A show purely for entertainment. <laughs> That's all this is. Um, yeah, I can't get them anymore though. So don't know, don't know where I get those firecrackers here in the Texas area. So well, I know where to get some <laughs> compressed air cartridges. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I think so, our buddy Trent might have some gunpowder for us. <laughs> so Zach, you yes. don't want any responsibility. I kind of want to close um, with this idea. You ish, ish. And, and I'm going to say at this time, would that be a more accurate statement? Um. In in my current, the current set of conditions in which I would be given more responsibility, I'm not wanting it. Yeah. So one of the things that you and I have talked about with you growing up in the sport, and I, when I say that, I mean learning to jump. You've said to me on more than one occasion that you see the potential of this being your future. Now I think it is my future, whether I want it to be or not. You're only 21 years old. Dude, I'm... I'm 44 i'm still just beginning i'm still figuring out what the fuck i'm doing in this sport so you've gone over 20 30 plus years before this may be what you do as far as running managing yeah. a dz yep 
you said you want to learn to do it all, partially because you want to learn to do it all, and partially because how can you run the business without knowing how to do it? Yeah, I think I think that's important. I think having an understanding of how each department works is is huge. Um, I I think I'm a little bit more sympathetic to some of the manifestors because of the summer that I had to spend in manifest. I think I, I think I appreciate it whenever I see people out at suburbia weed eating my yard because I spent summers being forced to go weed eat the ghetto, and it's not fun. It's not like anyone's out there saying, "Yeah, I'm I'm loving this. I'm having a great time," but you know, it's it's things they do. Some of our friends' jobs is your punishment. That's your your life wasn't too rough. No, 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 absolutely not. But so so learning the ins and outs of of those things, I think, have their benefit, like personally now and potentially in the future, if you ever want to manage someone in that position. So there's so many jumpers out there who want to become an instructor one day. First of all, it's just a limited income. It's a limited lifestyle. It is a wonderful lifestyle. I don't uh, discourage it, but I would tell you if you're, if you're thinking about becoming a jumper full-time, really get to understand the financial situation and what you're putting yourself into. Yeah, um, but, it's, it's definitely one that everyone's like, oh, it's the dream job, but there's, there's pros and cons. You definitely have sacrifices to live the life. but Dude, and it's, it's definitely their sacrifices. It's the life. Dude, I love this life, man. It's it's not a bad life to live. How important would you say, and obviously I think you do, but what would you say about it's important to learn other jobs if you're going to work around them? Example, as an instructor, how much more do you appreciate the Packers? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the Packers are probably a better person to say that than I am. Um, We've had a lot of conversations about the fact that they appreciate me because of the fact that I was a Packer. You know, whenever I have a Flow 1 student, I meet them out in the field regardless of the fact that I know that I just taught that student and I know that I taught them the proper way how to pick up their gear, but I also know I've watched 150 dive low ones walk in in the last month and not one of them brought in their gear the right way. So obviously there's, you know, it just takes some practice. And so because I was a packer and had those dive flow ones walk in and their, their gear takes longer to untangle than it does to actually pack, um, and I, I take precautions to make sure I'm not that guy anymore. And the Packers tell me all the time they appreciate it. And, and so I think in that aspect, it's nice. Man, it's, you do see a future. You do see building from what you've become to what you're going to do. You see this as your future one day, whether you like it or not. Yep. Do you like it? Absolutely. We've seen a lot of different, uh, not, we've seen very few rather families grow up through the sport is, and become DZO families. In other words, uh, Rook owns a place his father, Roger, once owned. Um, and some of them just completely shy away and want to have nothing to do with the sport. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do is work with family. Yeah. Um, you didn't want to have anything to do with the sport for quite a while. Now it's your future. Now it's mm-hmm. now you want it. In hindsight, through this conversation, what is that one thing that flipped that whole switch for you? What's the one thing that makes you want this for the rest of your life? Personal desire, ha- having the desire for something more. You know what I mean? Like skydiving was great because it it created those successes, which gave me confidence, which made me want more successes, which made me push for more and harder goals, which kind of set it up for kind of this this long term thing for me. So I, I think really like that would be the the big difference. 
Man, I really appreciate you coming and hanging out, Zach. Yeah, At some point, we'll come in and we'll tell more of the, the crazy bullshit stories. For sure. It's been a while. Uh, glad to have you on here. Anything you want to share with your friends and family before we get moving? Uh, that's it. Love yeah. you guys. Mr. P, anything else you got to remember? Uh, film Festival. Come out this Saturday. Rain or shine. Have a good time. Uh, huge shout out to Velocity Sports Equipment. So my brand new rig showed up this week and it's beautiful and I'm super in love with it. Have you got it packed oh, awesome. yet? Yeah, it's all packed up. It's ready to go. Have you you put it on? Oh, I, I wore it for three hours today while I was editing. <laughs> How did it fit feel wise? It, 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 it fits really nice. It feels really Did you really play great. with a camera in your head and moving around? Uh, no, I haven't put any other gear on. Okay. I have it hooked up. I'm ready to take it on a hop and pop. And then uh, ready to take it everywhere else after that. Dude, after all this rain, that nice, white, shiny rig, man. The, you know, the landing area is not that wet. You know what? Everyone, the, the rain hasn't been too terrible. They mowed today. Oh, nice. It, the landing area looks great. Nice. Everyone sat there and told me that about my rig. Like, no, don't get white on it. But It's not bad. Anyone that's ever watched me, I land pretty much in any conditions anywhere. Like, I'm the one that'll do a downwinder after it just rained for three weeks yeah. into the mud and... I don't think my white looks that bad. Look at a white car and a black car. Right now, you see my car. You wash your car way less than me. I look closely at your car. Absolutely. You, I, way you, less. Way less. Way less. And my car shows dirt right away, and it's not black. It's just dark, and yours, I dude, I look closely to see that it's dirty. White well, hides dirt well. Let's be real. I'm going to put some grass stains on that thing. <laughs> oh, yes, you are. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to fall down. I'm going to slide it in. So you give a character. It's going to happen. It's going to probably sting a little bit the first time it happens, but right now she's real pretty. (laughs) Man, guys, gals, I really like to thank our uh, sponsors, the people who make this show possible. Uh, Good Guys Detail. The Good Guys Detail is based out of Austin. They'll make your car shine. They'll make your car bling. Uh, Really uh, huge shout-out to Option Studios. They make some really fine jerseys. Uh, Man, looked in my closet lately. My whole wardrobe is made out of the most comfortable jerseys on the market. Super comfortable. The Pro Jersey by Option Studios. Man, Nick, hit that funky music, white boy. Guys and gals, we will see you, I don't know, next week or the week after. I haven't thought that far ahead. Gravity Lab Radios, Blue Skies, we're out.